Bless the Lord. Amen. You know, when you don't forget his benefits, you can't help but bless the Lord. Amen. That's what David said, wasn't it? Bless the Lord, O my soul, with all my strength, with all my mind, with all that I am. I bless the Lord because I do not forget his benefits. He forgave all of my iniquities, healed all of my infirmities, delivered my life out of the pit, follows me with loving kindness and compassion, and fills my years with good things and renews my youth like the eagle. Hallelujah. Praise God. Did all that in Jesus. Thank you, Lord. When you ever wonder and doubt or consider and, and, and just thinking about the promises, all you have to do is look to Jesus and go, I'm saved. And it all belongs to me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, it's hard to believe that this is the last night that we have with uh, Brother Terry and Renee. But you know, the last night is always the best night because God continues to build and build and build. And he has been building some things on the inside of us. Amen. Setting, the, setting our path to look ahead instead of just where we're at, but to look ahead and to prepare for the days that are coming. Isn't that right? Amen. Glory to God. So are you ready for more of what God has for you? Hallelujah. So would you welcome to the platform Dr. Terry Mize. Well, glory. Praise the Lord. This will be much easier than what I've been doing the last 30 minutes. I've been trying to get Renee's 94-year-old mother online where she can watch the service tonight. So, hey, this is easy up here. Praise the Lord. <laughs> it's pretty sad when somebody thinks I'm the IT guy. Because <laughs> I'm the lowest of the low on, when it comes to that subject. I've got IT people. And I remember my dear friend Wayne Myers. I've told you, talked to you all about Wayne since, since, well, since you've known me. He's one of my spiritual fathers. He'll be 100 years old next month in Mexico City. Been down there 80 years ministering, still preaching. Miss Martha went on to heaven last year, and uh, Mexico wouldn't let anybody even come to her funeral. I was so hurt and sad and mad and still mad. That lady should have had 5,000 people at her funeral, you know. And uh, anyway, they wouldn't let anybody come. And so, uh, uh, but we're, I had bought her her very first computer years ago. Go ahead and be seated. And, uh, and she said, oh, Terry, I can't, I can't operate a computer. I said, sure, you can. So I went and bought a desktop, and, and then I wrote out on legal pad, y'all legal pads. I mean, step one, step two, push this button, push this button, push this button. And so she did really well for a long time. Uh, but she'd call me all the time and say, hey, I can't make this work. So I'm thinking, she thinks I'm the IT guy, you know. So I'm calling my people and say, all right. And then, and then she had a stroke, Bob. And so for several years, you know, she wasn't able to use one side of her body. And, uh, and so one day I was down there, Renee and I were down there, and she said, well, Terry, you know, you bought me my first computer, and you bought me some sense, and you taught me how to use it and how to do stuff. And, and she said, but, you know, I can't use my hand anymore, so I, I, no more keyboards for me. I'm done with the computer. I said, I'll get you an iPad. 
And she said, oh, I couldn't use an iPad. There's no way. I said, the iPad just takes one finger. <laughs> you know, and I said, and you don't do a bunch of stuff. I said, you know, you may write your newsletter or, you, you, you know, you, you want to do FaceTime and see your kids and grandkids and great-grandkids or you want to send, a, uh, you know, an email or, a, a, you know, I said, you can all do that. You know, or you can look at your pictures. You can put all your pictures in there and you look at them. So I went and got her an iPad, and so she enjoyed that for all those years. But I always thought, man, when Auntie, every time she called me to be the IT guy, I thought, man, she's, she's scraping the bottom of the barrel here because I am not very knowledgeable about this stuff. But, you know, I do, I do scrape by. I, have, I am a missionary, so I have uh, figured out over the years what to, what to do. Um, you know, back in the day, Bob, whenever... Uh, well, Dennis will remember this. You know, back, back, when, back when the computers were go- just c- had come out for, uh, for us normal folks, and uh, it, it ran through the phone lines. You know, it sounded like a fax machine when it started up, you know. And, well, I'd be in these foreign countries, including many times Dennis and I were in Ukraine together. And, uh, and so I'd usually have my oldest son with me, you know, and we'd be in, in the room. And he'd say, well, Dad, you know, you got your laptop, but there's no way to, no way to use it. And I'd say, oh, there is. There is. He's talking about this to us the other day. He's laughing, telling Renee. He said, "I always thought Dad's going to get put in jail." And so uh, I'd just go out to the hotel and I'd go up to another floor or two, wherever I wasn't staying, and I'd walk up and down the hallway for a while until I'd find an open room, you know, that the housekeepers had left open or something. So I'd just walk in that room, grab my pocket knife, go over to the telephone. It just cut me off a piece of telephone wire about yay big. <laughs> <clears throat> go back down to my room and wire that thing up and stick it in my computer and stick it in the, my phone jack. And, man, we just computicated, you know. So there are things you can, you know, as a missionary, you can, you know, put stuff together. But uh, I don't know if, if I got Marianne online tonight or not because I, I was at the, I told her, and I said, if I'm still back there working and, and they get ready for me, just come on up here to the front. So, But anyway, we're glad to be here. It's always a delight and always has been a delight for 30 years, you know, to be in this great church and to be with my dear friends, Pastor Bob and Pastor Ned, and a bunch of you folks have been friends for a long, long time. And so it's always fun to be with friends, and it's always good to, to go where uh, you can just visit and talk. We, we've, we've preached a lot together. These guys have been to Thailand. We've been to Thailand together many times. And, uh, you know, we just, uh, we just have a lot of fun. But there's just not anything like the Word. You know, Renee, Renee has just been going around the hotel this afternoon saying, Thanks be to God, who always, not sometimes, not 50% of the time, not once in a while, who always causes us to try. Who makes us win every time? God's a winner, and He wants us to win. Amen. Aren't you glad God's a winner, and aren't you glad He wants us to win? Praise the Lord Jesus. Me too, me too, me too, me too, me too. Um, I've given you this scripture for 30 years, but I don't think I've done it this week. So let me give it to you again one more time over all the many, many years I've given it to you. Proverbs chapter 31. And I've told you over the years that these three scriptures right here, two in the Old Testament, one in the New, are why I get out of bed in the morning. They're what pumps blood through my veins. It's why I eat monkey and and dog, and cat, and rat, and, you know, worms, and bugs, and woodpecker, and all the weird stuff I've, have you ever eaten a woodpecker, Bob? I don't recommend it, but I was hungry, 
It doesn't taste like chicken either. <laughs> Everybody says everything tastes like chicken. I've always said, well, yeah, that's true, but sometimes it tastes like really bad chicken. <laughs> One day I was, I, was in, I was in Panama, and I was 18 years old. I was on my first mission trip. You know, Renee was laughing at me the other day, Bob. She said, uh, she said you know, most kids, teenagers, when they want to do something for missions and want to help, so, you know, their church has some kind of little outreach and said, you know, they go over like to the next town over and they paint houses for old folks or something and consider that a missions trip. She said, you went to the jungles of Panama with an Indian tribe that didn't wear clothes and about died and, and could have died and they told you you'd die and, and, and you know, you, you took the, you took the, <laughs> I mean, the, the top of the top missions trip, you know. And lived with these Indians that didn't wear clothes and lived wildcat style. If we didn't catch anything, we didn't eat anything. And one day I was, I was so hungry, and I was wandering through the jungle trying to find something to eat. And I went to all the usual hangouts, you know, where the monkeys hung out and they weren't there. And I went to where the pigs usually were and they weren't there. And I went, I tried to find some parrots, and I tried to find some macaw birds. And, you know, macaw birds back in that day, big old, big old pretty birds, you know. Uh, but back in those days, they cost, here in the States, they cost $1,500. One day I shot two of those rascals and brought them home, hooked one on the, my belt this side, and hooked one on my belt this side because I got that curved beak, you know. And I brought them home, and I wrote back home and said, I'm having a $3,000 meal tonight. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, I couldn't find anything to eat. I had no pigs, no monkeys, no macaw birds, no parrot, and I couldn't find anything. And I'm just hunting and, and praying, and, and I hear a... And I thought, that's a woodpecker. He, so I hunted and listened and walked and listened and finally found him. And there he was way up in a tree just pecking away. You know, they're not that big. And so I shot him. And, uh, and I just left him there for a few minutes. I thought, maybe a, maybe, maybe a pig or something will come out to eat him, and I'll shoot that and, you know, give me some pork chops. And uh, that didn't happen, so I didn't want the, I didn't want the ants to get him. So I, I, I went and, and, and uh, I, I just kept waiting. And then, and then pretty soon his buddy came and started pecking. So I shot him. And so I took these two little old woodpeckers back to the village. And, you know, I, I took the feathers off and I gutted them, cleaned them, cleaned them out. And, you know, you can't, like, fry them up and, you know, have, like, a, a woodpecker leg. You know, I mean, they're teensy. So I just boiled some water, and I don't know if I had any vegetables thrown in there or not. I don't remember. But I, but I threw those two woodpeckers in there and made woodpecker soup because I just needed some protein. You know, I just needed something to eat. So. But these scriptures are why I do all that weird stuff I've done for 54 years and left my wife and left my kids and left my grand. You slip in weird places over all these decades. And Proverbs 31, verse 8 and verse 9 says, Open your mouth for the dumb in the cause of all such as appointed to destruction. They are appointed to destruction. Every person born on the planet has a date and a destiny with hell. Isn't that sad because of what Adam did? Every precious little baby, every sweet, precious little old, little old baby, its destiny is hell. It says they're appointed to destruction. And if a Christian somewhere in that baby's life, if a Christian doesn't get in their face and interrupt them and tell them about Jesus, they'll end up in hell. Some Christian somewhere has got to Interrupt them. You know, people have asked me for decades, well, Terry, talk to us about revival. I said, well, the revival happens when the Holy Spirit interrupts the church. 
you know, most people don't want to be interrupted, and most churches don't want to be interrupted. Churches know how to have church without God. There's churches all over America did it yesterday. I mean, all over America, every town in America, all over the world, because we know how to show up on time. We know how to, you know, think, sing three fast songs and three slow songs, and we know how to make an announcement and take up an offering and preach for 20 minutes and go home. God doesn't have to show up. We know how to do that. And, and a lot of churches don't want to be interrupted. In fact, they've got, I've, I've been in church where they give me the schedule. And it says the opening prayer will be a minute and a half, 90 seconds. You know, the offering will be this long. The, the song service will be this long. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just chop, 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 chop. And then the sermon will be 20 minutes or 17 minutes or whatever. And uh, they don't want to be interrupted. It would mess them up if the Holy Ghost showed up. And I have one friend, used to be a friend, I don't know if we're friends anymore or not, because he, he, he had a big fight with Brother Hagin and, and, and went away from, the, from word of faith, which I am, died to, in the wool. And I, we have a saying in Texas that says, dance with them that brung you. Well, you know, word of faith brung me here, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm staying with it. I'm going to ride that horse forever. And, uh, and, and so he had a big falling out with Brother Hagin and, and, and quit the word of faith and just turned into a seeker-sensitive church and... and, and, and uh, and of course, they do win souls. They do give an altar call. I'm always for that. If you win, if you win souls, I don't care how goofy you are everywhere else. I'm glad you win souls, because that's what Jesus died for. Amen. But anyway, he, he got to where he put on in his bulletin on Sunday morning service, and twenty thousand people go to church there. I mean, it's the place to go to church, you know. And uh, he uh, put in his bulletin, "There will be no move of the Holy Spirit in the Sunday morning service." Yeah, <gasps> me too. So we used to sing that song, Holy Spirit, Thou Art Welcome in this place. He, he might as well just sing, Holy Spirit, Thou Art Not Welcome in this place. Because, I mean, he has told the Holy Spirit, you will not move. You will not interrupt our service. I mean, they know when that thing's starting. They know every, every song, every announcement, every offering. They know the exact end time. And, and they just don't want to be interrupted. And because of that, they won't have revival. But, I, but I, I ask the Lord all the time, and the Holy Spirit will say, Oh, Holy Spirit, tonight, interrupt us tonight. Yes. Just interrupt us. Just fall into place and just take over. You know, and you know, you know when, when Joshua was in that big, big war with five enemy kings and all that was going on, uh, he looked around and he saw this big soldier over here he never had seen before. And he ran over to him and he said, Who are you? What are you doing here? Are you on our side or their side? And he said, I didn't come take sides. I can't even take over. I'm the captain of the host. <laughs> I'm running things around here. Isn't that right? And we, we, we want Jesus to be the captain of the host. Yeah. I go to all these churches I have for years where people call me general. We just went through this big deal in Philadelphia about this. They say, oh, general, you're a general. Come on, general, come on. And I said, you know, I know Brother Copeland's called me general for years, and Mark Barkley and a bunch of other great friends of mine and great preachers have called me generals. But I said, I've always had a... A problem with that because uh, the Bible says that Jesus was the captain of the host if Jesus was just the captain then I'm a slick sleeve nobody man I'm a private you know nothing uh, if Jesus is just the captain I don't know how we get all these preachers that are generals but uh, it's kind of like all these doctors in churches you know I'm a doctor and everybody's a doctor and you know dr. Myers doctor and I said to him years ago when they were trying to get me to be a doctor decades and decades ago, and I said, I, said, I, I didn't even know God was sick. I, I didn't even know God felt bad. 
until I pass every church, and it's Dr. So-and-so, Dr. So-and-so, Dr. So-and-so. I said, man, God's got more doctors than hospitals do. But, you know, my point has always been all my life, we don't live for titles. We live for testimonies. We live for testimonies. I'm just glad God still uses available mud. Amen. Jesus spit on the dirt one time and made anointed mud out of it and wiped it on blind eyes and they were opened. And uh, I'm still glad he used available mud today. Amen. Praise the Lord. We don't live for titles. We live for testimonies. But, uh, but these scriptures is why I, I, I do that. And it says they're, they're, they're appointed to destruction. That's so sad. You know, every time I walk into a Sam's Club or a Costco or I walk into a Red Lobster or any, any seafood place that's got a bunch of lobsters in a tank, I always say, see, whoever's with me, I'll say, see that? That's death row. <laughs> and all those lobsters in there are, are remind me of the world because they're headed into eternity. They don't have a clue. Just like the people in your neighborhood, just like the people you work with. They're headed to eternity. Everybody's headed into eternity. And don't have a clue. Life is a terminal disease. Nobody's going to get out of it alive. Unless you're here when Jesus comes and blows the horn. You know, and I'm for that too. But other than that, we're not getting out of this thing alive. And this says every person on the planet, the little sweet precious baby, they're, they're appointed to destruction. They're going to hell. Unless... Unless you, or 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 you, you, somebody says, excuse me, <laughs> hello. <laughs> I used to take teenagers to Jamaica for decades I did that and taught them to win souls. Just stop somebody on the street and shake their hand, look them in the eyeball and lead them to Jesus. We won, those kids won souls by the thousands and thousands. But somebody's got to get in your face and interrupt you. Amen. So we're... We should be the interrupters. And he says, open your mouth and judge righteously and plead the cause or plead the case of the poor and the needy. God's always been into the poor and needy. Always been into widows and orphans, always been into the poor and needy. Amen. You know, when I married Renee, I told Renee, I said, I'm just doing my part to help the widows. The NIV says this a little more in our vernacular today. It says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly and defend the rights of the poor and needy. Isn't that a great scripture? Those scriptures get me out of bed. Those scriptures are like fire in my bones. Those scriptures make me eat that weird stuff and sleep in those weird places like I've done all these many, many years. And in the New Testament scriptures says, James 1, 27, pure religion. Now, most of us Christians are always making fun of religion and say, well, we're not religious. We don't have a religious bone in our body. We, we just have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't have any religion. Well, I understand what we mean when we say that. I say it myself. But evidently, God wants us to have some religion, did? And the kind he wants us to have, evidently, is the pure kind. Because he says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. He gives us a definition. I love it when God gives us a definition. He said, this is it. It is this, that you visit the fatherless or the orphans, the fatherless and the widows 
in their affliction, and you keep yourself unspotted from the world. Isn't that amazing? That should be every church's reputation. The sinners or the world or the people in our city ought to look at our church and say, you know, those folks out there are a little weird. They, they raise their hands when they sing and they, they, they talk in a funny language. They're kind of strange. But uh, they're always helping the poor. They're always helping the needy. They're always helping widows. They're always helping orphans. And they, and they don't ever have a scandal. They keep themselves straight. That ought to be the church's reputation. That's what we're required to do. Amen. So thank God for the word and thank God for Christians that can go to the uttermost and the guttermost and lead people to Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Uh, I haven't talked about the products uh, Sunday morning or Sunday night and tonight to last night, but there are products out there on the table. There's a fabulous tape series, my very favorite tape series out there. I preached at this church in Punta Gorda, Florida. A number of years ago, I, I showed up to preach to this, this church that partners with me, and I love the pastor, and he loves me, and, and I'm there every year, and usually. And, um, and I showed up, and, and I said to the pastor, I said, uh, my secretary tells me you want me to minister on spiritual authority while I'm here. And he said, yeah, that's right. And I said, okay, great. No, no sweat. And uh, I usually don't get to preach what I want. I usually do what I'm told, you know. I, I'm, I, I've been married twice. I've been in the military, so I know how to follow orders. And then I go to churches, and they tell me, you know, what to preach and how long to preach and, you know, where to sleep and when to eat and where to eat. And so I just, hey, that's not a problem. I do it. And so he said, yeah, that's right. That'd be great. And I said, okay. So, and then a little while he comes back to me, and he said, Terry, I just want you to preach what you want to preach. Preach what the Holy Ghost wants. I said, seriously? Seriously, really? He said, yeah, preach whatever you want. Preach whatever the Holy Ghost says. I said, that's the kindest thing anybody's ever said to me. And I said, if that's the case, you remember this? I said, if that's the case, I'm going to preach on faith. If I get to do what I want to and what the Holy Ghost wants to do, we're going we're gonna to go with faith. Faith is what got us here. <laughs> Amen. And so I preached this message on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and, and Monday night. On faith. And, and it was so anointed of the Holy Ghost that I was getting excited preaching it thinking I didn't know I knew this. Because I'm not preaching, the Holy Ghost is preaching. And I'm hearing these things come out of my mouth and I'm thinking, I need to write this down. I need to make notes. This is good. I'm going to get the tape after I get through, you know. And, and so we called it Basics of Faith. And it's back there on the tape table. I preach it right here. And uh, I love that. I recommend that to people everywhere I go. They say, what, what do you think I ought to get? I say, get basics of faith. That'll help you. <laughs> They're all good. They'll all help you. But that basics of faith, that's, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. You know, the devil doesn't want you to preach on faith. No. Dennis, do you remember one time in, 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 in Ukraine? I, I think we must have been in Kiev. Um, all these weirdos on TV always call it Kiev these days. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, what Kiev? What? I've been there a gazillion times. Uh, and you know, I've taught I've taught the word of faith all over that nation. So so is Dennis. So is a bunch of other people. Doctor Bill used to go, and I mean, just a bunch of us have taught. Did you ever do a Ukraine trip? Yeah, yeah. And so they're not just folks over there don't know the word. There's some folk. There's some pastors over there that knows what's going on. And I've been in contact with. As soon as the Ukraine thing started, I was in contact with some of them every day. Dennis was, I think, for over two months, stayed in contact every day. 
and talking to them and offering them, you know, help and money. And, and uh, some of them I tried to get out. I said, hey, I'll get you to the States. I'll bring it. They said, no, no, Brother Terry, we got to stay. We're pastors. We've got to stay with our people. We're not leaving our people. And, uh, and I've sent them money and sent them more money and sent them more money. And then, then they said, we don't need more money. I said, what? Who ever heard to turn down money? They said, they said, no, brother, we don't need any money. we got plenty of money. You've sent plenty of money, and we're, we're, we're okay. We're helping our people, and they're okay. One day I was doing a Zoom meeting with them, and I was preaching. You know, they'd ask me if I'd preach to them every now and then, so I'd, we'd do a Zoom meeting so they'd get refreshed and built up. And right in the middle of this Zoom meeting while I'm preaching, uh, I think I was in where Michigan maybe doing a Zoom meeting to Ukraine. And all of a sudden, right in the middle of it, some lady out in the country watching on her laptop or phone or something, she just broke in and said, Dr. Mines, Dr. Mines, pray the airplanes are over our village right now shooting at us. We had this, I mean, this real-time, you know, you know, war. And so we stopped and prayed and played the blood of Jesus and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and, and I bought some vehicles and, and, and bought some vehicles for some people in Romania to take supplies into Ukraine at, at four and $5,000 a pop. So we sent the four and $5,000 to fill it up with, bought the vehicle and then filled it up with the, the goods. And then, and then they go in there and drop the stuff off and then pick up, Women and children, men can't leave, but women and children, and bring them back to Romania. And some of them will stay until the thing's over and go back. And others don't want to stay in Romania. They just want to keep going over to Hungary and then just keep on going. So, so we've just been real, you know, involved in all this, as a lot of other people have as well. Uh, but but we're, 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 you know, we're serious about helping people around the world. This is what the church is about. This is the church's best thing the church does. And let me tell you something about giving to charities. Never, never, never give to a government. That's the biggest corruption and corrupt and crooks and liars and cheats. I remember when, I remember when George Bush, when W and Bill Clinton got together, what a, what a, they got together and raised millions and millions and millions for Haiti when January 2010, there was that horrible, horrible earthquake that killed half a million, half a million people, went, went into eternity. And if people didn't get in their face and interrupt them, they went to hell. Can you imagine half a million people went to hell? And so uh, they raised all that money. And, of course, I was sending money over there anyway, but I'm sending it to pastors. You know, I'm, I'm hiring armed guards there to, to escort the pastors to get the job done to keep the thieves off of them. Uh, and, and, and everybody's going over there asking, and I went over there and said, what, what happened to all that money that Bill Clinton and George Bush said over here? Well, of course the government got it. They, the people didn't get that. And uh, I, you know, when you give to the church, Miranda, don't take that baby out. It's not bothering anybody. It's sure not bothering me. I've, I've held many a baby while I'm preaching. <laughs> okay, you do what you want to, but don't, don't feel like you're interrupting. I would, there's the other interruption I like, and that's not going to bother anybody. And so, uh, you know, when you give to the church, it's going to go where you give it. Isn't that right? You know, with our organization, Jackie Mizer National Children's Foundation, JMICF, we gave, between last year and this year, just at Christmas time, we gave over a quarter million dollars to, to 26 countries and uh, uh, over 40 orphanages and dug water wells and bought vehicles and did all kind of, and every single penny, every bit of it went. We didn't take one dime even for administration or for, for like, like, when, like when the banks charge us to send money overseas, we don't even pay that out of JMICF. We take it out of my ministry, Terry Mize Ministries, and pay the bank fee <laughs> to send the money. We don't take one thin cent out of JMICF, you know, and so everything that people give goes exactly where, where they send it. And not hardly anybody can say that because it's just, it's just it's unheard of. 
but we made, Jackie and I made that decision, and then when Jackie left and Renee and I got married, I told her, and she agreed, and we made that decision. That as long as we can do it, as long as we can do it, we'll, we'll not take a penny for administration out of, out of JMICF. And uh, so we, we've enjoyed, you know, ministering. But anyway, there, there's good products back there. There's T-shirts back there that Renee really got into. And, and there's, a, there's a series back there. I don't know if y'all have seen this or not. Renee did this too. She's, she's, she has lots of ideas. But she did this series called Legacy One. I don't know if y'all have seen this or not. It's probably our newest thing we have. And I assume since she did Legacy One, there's probably going to be a two and three and four. Who knows how many? Uh, but she called it Legacy One. Legacy meaning it's old, that it comes from, it's, it's a legacy. And she even put old pictures on the back of it, crusades and stuff that I've done. And there's even old brother Wayne Myers and me in Mexico decades ago. But uh, she put four sermons in here, or messages in here, words in here, that, um, that God gave me somewhere around the world to either make history or change history. You know, the, 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 I think the Zimbabwe drought that you mentioned last night, uh, I think that that's in here where those people were dying and God had me stand up and say, I decree this drought's over and it'll rain tomorrow and if it doesn't rain, I'm, a, I'm not a man of God. You know, and just, uh, just different countries I was in at different times to change history or to make history. And so she put those in here and called it Legacy Volume 1. And then she even had it done in a, in a flash drive. If you don't have a CD in your car, you know, then you just take this card and push this, this in, folds out, and you stick it in the, in the, uh, the MP3 player or flash drive or whatever. And then, of course, spiritual authority, you all know I'm pretty well known for that around the world, and there's 11 CDs in there about spiritual authority, and I don't think we've scratched the surface. I don't think the church has scratched the surface about a spiritual authority. In fact, we're on, we're on our YouTube program. If you all go to YouTube, every Thursday we have a new program out, and I think we're on, like, part 18, uh, session 18, of spiritual, and I don't know how long we're going to go. And we just now got in the New Testament. We're in the Old Testament this whole other time. Just now got in the New Testament. And then Blood Warrior, that's a tremendous series. About, if you you know, Brother Copeland backed me up to a wall decades ago, took that finger of his, started poking me in the chest, backed me all the way up into a wall because he and Ed Dufresne and I were standing around a meeting about to go out and preach, and we were just talking about something. I don't even remember what we were talking about. And Kenneth said something, and I said something. Else. I said, well, "Yeah, but I, I, yeah, I'm, a, I'm just a missionary." Boy, Kenneth started poking me. And you, he's Kenneth Copeland. What are you going to do? You're not going to hit him. You're just going to let him poke on you, you know. And so he, he starts poking me and backing me up, you know. And I'm backing up, and he's poking. Ed's laughing, and uh, and he said, "Boy, don't you ever let me hear you say you're a missionary again. You're a blood warrior of Almighty God. You're an apostle and stand in the office." He just kept backing me up until I finally hit a wall, and he just kept poking. I think there's indentation there, but anyway. <laughs> so blood warrior is a good, that's a good series. You need to be, you know, Renee and I have said all this time that she's been with me. We've, uh, we've been telling the church in these crazy times we've been in lately that uh, you need to be as fierce. I mean fierce. This isn't playtime. You need to be as fierce as an Old Testament warrior. I miss the Old Testament sometimes, man. I mean, just kill the bad guys, you know. I like it. And, uh, and you need to be as fierce as an Old Testament warrior. But you need to be, have the grace and the mercy and the kindness and the, the forgiveness and the love and all the stuff of the New Testament believer. And then every day you just go along as a New Testament believer with all that wonderful stuff. But when the devil sticks his head up, you instantly revert <laughs> to an Old Testament warrior. 
And I mean, you get that sword out. And the Bible says when they were building the wall for Nehemiah, it says they built the wall with a sword in one hand and a shovel in the other. I mean, they're ready to fight. They'll kill you graveyard dead. And this stuff about the church being sissified and mealy-mouthed, and I've said in several churches lately, and some people didn't like it, I said there wouldn't be a cancel culture in America if the church hadn't got into coward culture. If the church hadn't got scared, acted like a sissy, you know, and well, who are we to say, what are we, are we no, no, the church has always stood strong yes. and been a warrior, and all of a sudden we've turned into, I don't know what we've turned into, but God's not happy about it, and neither am I. We need to be blood warriors. Amen. Renee, come on up and greet the people. Now, I've got some stuff to say. It's going to be good tonight. I want to get across some things to you. You might ought to leave your Bible. You can't stay up here as long as you did last night. There you go, giving her a microphone again. You know, if you'll be nice, I'm going to sit down over there and take your picture. Okay. All right. Thank the Lord. In the Lord good. You know, uh, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Yes. yes. Th there's a joy that we have that the world doesn't have. You know, there's a, th there's a sense of confidence in, the in our future because of who we are in Christ Jesus. You're exactly uh, right. We don't, we don't fear like the world uh, does with everything that, that they uh, deal with. And yet we're not flippant and we're not careless either. You know, we're very focused, very determined to see what God has for us to do. And we, when we're not cowards, that, that's the thing, is you, you can't live as a coward as a Christian. No. I was raised by some tough old Pentecostal ladies with hairy legs. <laughs> <laughs> And hair piled on top of their head, no makeup. And they would not allow you to fool around with the things of God, you know. You had to be focused. And if they just had a, a sense of, of you not living right or you're talking too much in church or, or you girls are passing notes and, and not listening to the pastor, man, they'd, they'd nearly do like a school teacher and take you by the ear to the prayer room, you know. And... Uh, like Terry and I have laughed about so much that you, they didn't pray till you got through. They prayed till they got through. <laughs> and it was truth. so wonderful being raised around godly, God-fearing, pure-hearted, good people. Yeah. You know, the quality of the local church that we are to produce to the world and show to the world is, is something that, and I have this verse, you know, I went and looked that up, Pastor Bob. Uh, talking about the value of your local church, you know, and what we're doing here in the earth today. I mean, sometimes you want to look yourself in the mirror and say, what am I doing? You know, why am I here? What, Lord, what's, what's, where do you want me to go? How do you want me to handle this? And when we were dealing with an issue this afternoon, and uh, I, Terry and Pastor Bob were on the phone, and we were just talking, and immediately the scripture, when I heard their voices, it came up. And if you would put up 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 that says but thanks be to God hallelujah this just sounds so declarative and and pious and wonderful you know it just sounds so official but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumph isn't that wonderful 
who always causes us to triumph and through us spreads and makes evident the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, when we walk in, God gets there. When we get there, God gets there. When we walk in, the fragrance walks in. The aroma to life. The aroma, everybody say that, to the aroma of life. Say, when I get there, I smell like life to hell. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? I smell like life. I tell you, in the summer and you're sweating, you still ought to be saying, I smell like life. <laughs> when I get there, God gets there. When I get there, hell knows I'm there because I smell like life. And thanks be to God who always causes me to triumph because I smell like life. Hallelujah. And there's that, there, to me that, you know, if, if, if I was allowed to teach, um, I could, you know, I, Terry and I, he teases me all the time about some things. And so I just always am, am quick to share what has helped me, what has put me through life, what has caused me to triumph you know, in life. But over there in the, the uh, Ephesians, the third chapter, leave, just leave that up because we're going to go on down. Um, in the third chapter of Ephesians, it's such a fabulous prayer and, and chapter of explanation of the purpose of the local church and why God is calling us to preach the gospel, to live the gospel. I mean, the world doesn't know how to do this unless they hook, hook onto one of us. They don't know how, how to do it unless we're there to help them. Isn't that right? They don't have an example. They don't have anybody to help them do that. That's why your life, the end time, you're so valuable and so important because it's going to be a quick work, the door's going to shut, and we're going to be out of here, you know? And we only have so much time. Like my Bible college professor said many, many years ago, he said, we must crowd into the hours of setting sun what should have taken centuries to have done. Isn't that something? We've got to do everybody else's work that didn't do their job. We've got to do it now. We've, we're the cleanup batter. <laughs> we're the last leg of the race. We're the last leg. We're the last voice that will be here in the earth before the sound of the trumpet. And so I, I look at this. In verse 15 it says, For we are the sweet fragrance of Christ which exhales unto God among those who are being saved, but among those who are perishing, to the latter it is an aroma wafting from death to death, a fatal odor and a smell of doom. To the former it is an aroma unto life. Isn't that, my goodness, life to life. But who is qualified and fit and sufficient for these things? He said, who is able for such a ministry? We and he, this is a question. It's one of the great questions of the Bible. Who's fit to do this? He said, for we are not like so many hucksters making a trade of peddling God's word. Isn't that something? We're not shortchanging or adulterating the divine message, but like men of sincerity and of the purest motive, as commissioned and sent by God, we speak his message in Christ the Messiah in the very sight and presence of God. We are the aroma unto life. The world is the aroma unto death. When we get there, God gets there. 
Ephesians chapter 3 says that God has had a plan. He's made it plain. And the purpose is that, everybody say, through the church. I think that's verse 10. Ephesians 3, it says, but through the church, he might show the many-sided wisdom of God with all of its infinite variety and innumerable aspects. And the last verse you'll know for sure, he says, so that. He goes on to say there with all the things that are going on, he said that you might become a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself so that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly. Above all, he, you could ask or think, according to that power that's on the inside of us. Through the church. Everybody say, through the church. Through the church. Say it again. Through the church. That T-shirt out there, God still uses available mud. My goodness, you wear that to the grocery store? You think somebody want to ask you about being mud? You know, I mean, just the whole idea of the fact that God still uses available mud. What an honor. What an honor to be mud for Jesus. <laughs> what an honor to walk with your head held high knowing I'm, on a frag I'm a fragrance unto life. And he prays there in that prayer. He says, so that you might not just know it by knowledge, but that you by actual experience may know the height, the length, the depth, and the breadth of the love of God. That you would have the richest measure of the divine presence and become a body wholly filled and flooded with God so that God himself is able to do from the inside out exceedingly abundantly above all. See, the church is the greatest idea God's ever had. The local church and both this church. Everybody say, I'm the church. <laughs> See, I'm the church. Then there is this church, and there is the church. <laughs> I mean, it's a ripple effect out around the world. And the value of the local church in the end time has just shot up 100%. Because tag, you're it, kiddo. <laughs> tag, you're it. There is no backing out of this. I don't care if you like it or you don't like it. Terry said, we are blood warriors. We are soldiers under command. We have been given the armor of the Lord, and we can't flake out on this because I don't feel like it. Well, who cares? You're going to live forever, darling. You're going to live forever. This isn't everything that's ever going to happen to you. But right now, if we're going to help anybody else, we better get our act together. Isn't that right? And if you can't, you know, if you can't give a million dollars and you can't play the piano and you can't sing or you can't tap dance or whatever it is, you can pray. You can bind. You can loose. You can command. You can send the word. You can begin to take authority over governments and over the wicked. If you can learn to do, to have a powerful, personal prayer life that you see your prayers answered, you are the church. You're becoming the church. You're becoming mature. You're becoming strong. You're putting on the whole armor of, of God and you're going to the enemy's camp and you're taking back what belongs to not only you personally, but you're taking back and interceding on behalf of others what they are so in desperation need. My life is never, I am, I tell you what, I have never ever, Pastor Bob Ned, I have never ever ever been bored my whole life even when it was bad it was interesting <laughs> I mean I've never been even bored in another church I've just thought oh my god we'll never do it this way 
you know. I mean, I've just learned. I just, if I'm standing in line at the grocery store, I'm just praying in tongues. I'm meditating on the goodness of God. I'm, I'm determined to preach out of the overflow, not out of just my information. I'm preaching out of my relationship. I'm not preaching out of, out of what I heard somebody else preach secondhand. I'm getting it for myself. I'm grown up. I've been doing this all my life. I've had the Holy Ghost since I was eight years old. I ought to be yelling and screaming about this. You know, I ought to be preaching. I ought to be winning souls. I ought to be creating things for the kingdom of God that will change lives forever. Hallelujah. How many of you are just glad God lets you in? You know, that there was, how many of you are glad Bob and Ned let you in the door? That there wasn't a reality camera out there that followed you around all week long and you had to qualify to come through the door. We just ought to be glad somebody let us in the door. Somebody didn't say, no, you're not good enough. You can't come in. We only let, uh, we don't let your kind in. Thank God. We are the sweet fragrance of Christ. We are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the people of God. We are the head and not the tail. We're an aroma of life when we walk in the door. I mean, it's just amazing to me the promises of God that we have. And, you know, Terry and I are just determined we're going to finish strong and, and we're going to do the things that God's called us to do. We're going to be better people than we've ever been before. We're going to be the, the people of God that God can trust with the message of the gospel around the world, that we are not going to let the enemy discourage us, disappoint us in any way, try to talk us out of doing what God's called us to do. I mean, I'm just going to step over everything out there that's a distraction and say, I don't care. I don't care. My fault, your fault, devil's fault, doesn't matter. I'm just going to keep on doing what God told me to do. You know, it just doesn't matter. It's like John Wayne. You, you, your fault. Did y'all ever see Big Jake? The movie Big Jake? Oh, you need, if you're, if you're an American, you've got to see Big Jake. You've got to see Big Jake. Big Jake, John Wayne, they kidnapped his grandson. Bad guys say, bring us the money for the ransom, and if, and if anything goes wrong, your fault, my fault, anybody's fault, we're going to kill this boy. And John Wayne, just like David, hastened to run towards Goliath. He just said, anything, your fault, my fault, anybody's fault, happens to this boy. I'll kill you dead. And that's just the way I feel about it. Doesn't matter who's my fault, your fault. Doesn't matter the devil's fault. I'm gonna, still going to go forward. I'm not going backward. I'm not going to let anybody talk me out of this. But the joy of the Lord is my strength. I'll get over it. You know, somebody do something stupid, you know. I mean, family, friends, it doesn't matter. I mean, you just say, I don't care. I'm still going to do what God called me to do. You know, I, it, you just have to talk back to your own self and say, just bug off. Renee, get over it. Grow up. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. I don't have to be strong in my personality or my persona. I, don't, I, I can't love me that much. I'm supposed to have said goodbye to me. Everybody say goodbye to me. Goodbye to me. Hallelujah. Well, I'll leave you with that. Aren't you glad you don't have to do this by yourself? That we are the sweet fragrance of Christ. That we are the people of God that we are full of the Holy Spirit, that we have the goodness of God on the inside of us, and that we have this treasure in an earthen vessel, that we can be vessels unto honor, and that we are an aroma unto life. 
That's why the, the church is so important. We've got to go to the streets. We've got to go to the world. You've just got to walk in the grocery store smiling. You're in there incognito. You look like everybody else. But at any moment, you can pounce on someone <laughs> and pray for them and love them and encourage them and comfort them. Buy their groceries. Love on somebody. T hug those babies. Just tell, tell them, oh, I tell you, aren't children wonderful? You, did you ever know? Did you, I think, and I always play dumb. I say, did you know? I, th I, I think there's a verse in the Bible that says that children are the heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is, I think it says, his reward. And I act like I didn't know it. And it's amazing. Did, is that really in the Bible? Well, I think so. It's really good if it isn't anyway, isn't it? You know, and they'll laugh and carry on. And I just, I just, the love of God. Brother Osteen taught us all, didn't he, Terry, how to follow that divine flow of love. And I'm telling you, when you're full of the Holy Ghost, you can love the unlovely. You can walk in there. You can take, you can, you can be so kind and caring. And you can just laugh and be, you know, the devil doesn't like people that are happy. And if you're happy, it just seems to tick a lot of people off. Even... I mean, it just seems to aggravate people. You go into a restaurant, you go somewhere, hi, how are y'all today? We're fine. <laughs> and I said, well, I did, I'm not sure. Convince me. <laughs> I mean, you just have to have a ready answer to love on people and to be there full of the Holy Ghost because Jesus wants to help the world, and the only way he can do that is through you and I. So the value of you being stirred up Coming together even more so as we see the day of Jesus Christ approaching. Not letting the world hang on you. Shake it off like Paul did the snake and the fire. Shake off the world. Shake it off. Shake you off sometimes. Just say, get over. You know, my, I'm going to tell this real fast and Terry's going to come. Uh, when, I was, when I was a little girl, I was about 10 years old. And my daddy uh, was reading the newspaper one night. And I had gone to tap dance in uh, class. See, as a Pentecostal, I couldn't tap dance. But my little neighbor girl would invite me, my friend, and she'd say, come go with me to tap dancing. And I'd just get out there, and I'd, try, I'd stand over on the side while they were t getting taught tap dancing. And Ned, I'd try to do their slap ball chain. Any of y'all ever take tap dancing? And I'd do, try to do the slap ball chain. And, and she loaned me a pair of her tennis shoes, or her tap shoes, and I'd go home and practice that on the concrete because it just sounds so good to do that slap ball chain. And I just, you know, and, and I was Pentecostal, and I didn't have a lot of coordination, so I just looked weird doing it, but it sure was a lot of fun, you know? <laughs> and so I was just dancing around in the house. You know, back then, you just had that old linoleum tile, so you could just tap dance through the house, you know? And I was in there just tap dancing and singing and carrying on and doing all this kind of stuff about 10 years old. Daddy's sitting on the couch reading his newspaper. <laughs> and uh, he just looked down over that newspaper, and he said, Girl, you're full of yourself. And dumb me, I thought, oh, that's nice, you know? I thought it was a compliment. It took me several years to realize that was not a compliment. <laughs> and the Lord feels pretty much the same way. We don't need to be full of ourselves. And it takes a while for the Holy Ghost to dig all that garbage out. And it takes a lot, to, some time for the Holy Ghost to get hold of us, especially the older we are, and dig around down on, down on the inside and get us out. But I'm telling you, if we'll ask God to fill it up, deep calleth unto deep. Father, just dig a deep hole in me and get all of me out because I want more of you on the inside of me. Lift your hands tonight and thank God you're going to heaven. Thank the Lord you're going to heaven. Thank the Lord. Father, I thank you for eternity.
Thank you, Lord, for eternity. Thank you, Lord, that we're going to spend eternity with you. We're going to spend eternity Praise with each other. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. She can preach. She's always been one of my favorite preachers for the last 48 years. Praise the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for ministering to us by your spirit. Thank you, Father, for speaking to us. Holy Spirit, I ask you, as I've already asked you about these meetings and about tonight's meeting, to do those same three things I've asked you ten thousands of thousands of times over 54 years of ministry. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to, to, to turn on the light tonight. Turn on the light that we can see that what we're saying, is, that's the truth. That we can see the word and say, that's right, that, I, I see that. I, I'm not in darkness, I see that. And then, Holy Spirit, the second thing is prick our hearts prick our hearts like you did in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And Peter got filled with the Holy Ghost and went down and preached a sermon 50-something days before, 54 days earlier. He was a yellow-bellied coward and cursed and said he didn't know Jesus. And now he's preaching full of the Holy Ghost and says our wicked leaders have taken Jesus and crucified him with cruel hands, but they couldn't keep him down. He's alive again. And you pricked their hearts, the Bible says, and 3,000 got saved. Prick our hearts tonight. Prick our hearts tonight. Those here in the house and those watching online, prick our hearts. And then thirdly, Holy Spirit, move on our will. Move on our will. You'd, I know you don't change people's wills, but you do move on them to where they'll say, I will. I will do that. I will take that scripture and use it. I will serve the Lord. I will do that. I will obey God. Those three things. Turn on the light. Prick our hearts. Move on our will. And we'll leave this place tonight with our head up and our shoulders back. Realizing we're bigger than we thought we were and better than we thought we were. And can do more than we thought we could do. Because we're Christians. We're Christ-like ones. We're imitators of King Jesus. We're about the master's business. And we can go to the uttermost and the guttermost. We can reach way down and lift way up. We have the answers to the world's problems. Things that they're in torment over. That they're in depression over. That they're killing themselves over. We have the answer. And we thank you for it and give you the glory, the honor, the praise, the majesty, the dominion. Minister to us tonight. Do miracles, healing, signs, wonders, salvations, deliverance, infilling of the Holy Ghost. Interrupt us, Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, 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 amen. Praise the Lord God. You know, friends of mine, pastors, ministers, friends, for decades, good friends for decades, They'll, they'll, they'll laugh and they'll say, you know, Terry, you just, you just oversimplify the Bible. And I always say, well, I do that because I think it's simple. It was designed for naked natives in the jungle. It was designed for fishermen. You know, I'm a fisherman. I can understand stuff. It was designed for farmers. 
I've got so many farmers around the United States and other parts of the world, and I, I've told them for decades and decades and decades, I said, you guys have got it made. You farmers have got it made. Ranchers, farmers, you got it absolutely made. I said, the Bible was designed for you. It talks about seed, and it talks about harvest, and it talks about planting. It talks about your cattle's blessed, and your, your flocks are blessed, and your land's blessed, and your plants are blessed. I said, I said the rest of us city folks, yeah. we have to go get your scriptures and pull them over out of context and apply them to what we do. You don't even have to do that. You just say, bless the land. <laughs> Make it rain. It rains on the just and the unjust alike. Nope, bugs aren't eating my crops. This was just written for people to understand it. It wasn't hard. Brother Copeland asked me probably 50 years ago. I was, uh, I think Jackie and I had just left a meeting maybe in uh, Dallas. And uh, the Copelands were at that same meeting. And Jackie and I ran down, no, in Fort Worth. And we ran down to IHOP and got something to eat. And Kenneth and Gloria walk in a little bit and they sit down and get something to eat. And we said, hey, and they said, hey, and, you know, and I'm not going to bother them. And uh, uh, even though we're friends, I'm still not going to bug them while they're trying to eat. And, uh, and so in a little bit, when they got through eating, uh, they came over, and Gloria put some money down on the table. And she said, I want to invest this, Terry, in, in your ministry. And I said, you, you see a ministry worth investing in? Because we were just starting. We were just. And, and, and it was like God talking to me. I thought, you see you? <laughs> you, a great woman of God, a great minister, you, you see a ministry worth investing in? She, I absolutely do. And, uh, and I hadn't forgot that to this day, Renee, that, that she said that. It's like, well, somebody saw it, you know. And then Kenneth walked over in a little bit, and he said, Terry, he said, let me ask you a question. He said, when you're, uh, when you're in the mission fields in Mexico, at that time I was in Mexico a lot, and he said, uh, do, you, do you dumb down the messages? How do you minister to people overseas? He said, I know I'm going to be doing that one of these days. He said, uh, how do you minister to people overseas? Do you, do you dumb the message down? And I said, no, sir. No, sir. Y'all been to Thailand with me, you know. And I, I said, no, sir. I said, you never dumb the message down because you're speaking spirit to spirit. You're not talking to their head. You're speaking spirit to spirit. Their spirit gets it. And I said, what you do change or dumb down, if you want to use the phrase, I said, is the examples. Because if you're in a farming community, you want to use farming examples. You know, if you're in fishing, you want to use fishing examples. I said, you, you don't want to talk about airplanes and, and, and electronics and computers if you're, you know, well, they didn't have computers back then, but you don't want to talk about that kind of stuff in a, in a primitive place. You just need to talk about what they understand. So you change the examples from place to place, but you never change the message or the word from place to place. Isn't that right? So, so they've always said, well, Terry, you just make the Bible so you oversimplify the Bible. And I always said, well, I just think it's that simple. Here, to me, let me give you all the whole Bible tonight from Genesis to Revelation. Is that okay? Not an amen in the house. <laughs> 66 books, man. I mean, no. Here's what I've always said about the Bible and, and the way I see it and the way I believe it really is. God, last week, put the kids in the garden, Adam and Eve. The Bible says a day is a thousand years, a thousand years is the day of the Lord. He had no difference. You know, we think it might have been 7,000 years. He, he thinks it's last week. He didn't know. But in his mind and in what's happened, he last week put the kids in the garden. With a plan. And that plan was, look, 
Adam, I want you to love your wife. Eve, I want you to love your husband. And I want you to have your kids here. And I want them to have their kids here. And I want them to have their kids here. And I want them to have their kids here. And I want them to have their kids here. And I want them to have their kids here. Finally, we'd have gotten there. And uh, I want you to be a steward of this thing. Run the whole thing. It's not yours. It's mine. But you run it. I'm giving you authority to run it. See, there's an old, old, old argument in the church still going on today. Been going on for centuries on who owned the garden. Who was the owner of the garden? Was, it, was God the owner and Adam the steward? Or did God give it to Adam and he was the owner? I mean, theologians fight over that. And I've always said, I can answer that. I can tell you that that fast just by asking you one question. Who got kicked out? Adam got kicked out. That means he wasn't his. He was the steward. It was God's garden. And God said, here's the rules. He broke the rules and got kicked out. That's so simple. I just oversimplify the Bible, I guess. But, and God said, and just, just, Enjoy this. And every day, every day, every day, every day, every day, every day of the world, I'm going to come down in the cool of the day and take you, honey, by the hand and take you, buddy, by the hand. And we're just going to tiptoe through the tulips together and just going to bask in the Shekinah glory of me every day. And then tomorrow I'll come back again. The next day I'll come back. That was the whole plan. And God said, now get your notepad, get your tape recorder, get, your, get, your, get, get ready. I'm going to give you your reason for existence on planet Earth. I'm going to give you the reason I built this place. Are you ready for this? He, yeah, yeah, Lord, we're ready. All right, write this down. You, you, here, here's your, your purpose, your vision, your, 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 your reason for existence, the very reason you draw breath in your life. you ready for this? Yes, sir. He said, multiply and be fruitful. That's it. There wasn't 73 points. No, he said, multiply and be free. In other words, give me a family. See, because he had those angels, and that didn't do it for him. Angels weren't free moral agents. They, they had to serve him. And he wanted somebody that would serve him because they love him. And so he said, that this is your job. Have babies and give me a family. That's it. Multiply. Multiply and be fruitful. You know, that's not a very spiritual thing. That's a carnal thing. That was God's plan. That was his desire. That was his wish. That was his dream. That was his vision. That's what he wanted. It's what he's using his faith for. You only use your faith for something you don't have. You don't use faith for something you do have. If you got a hundred dollar bill, you're not believing God for a hundred dollar bill. If you got a new car, you're not believing God for a new car. If you got a new house, you're not believing God for a new house. You, you only believe for something, use your faith for something you don't have or can't get. Well, what's God using his faith for? He's got houses, he's got land, he builds his streets out of gold, he builds his fences out of precious stones, his, his gates are made out of one single solitary pearl. Can you imagine the oyster that thing came out of? And, and I mean, so he's got everything, 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 but there is something he can't have. And so he uses his faith for it. He desires it. He wants it. And that is he wants a family. He wants souls. Now, why the church has overlooked this for centuries, I just don't understand. And why over the centuries the church says, yeah, well, we know that, but this is more important. No, it's not. God wants a family. That was the whole plan, Bob. This is not a hard plan. So you know the story that he told them. He said, now, look here. There's two trees in the center of the garden. You're the steward. You can do anything you want to do. Run this thing. Make it good. Make it bad. I mean, just have, have, a, have a ball. Enjoy your wife. Enjoy your kids. I mean, enjoy the lions, the tigers. I mean, have a ball. 
But you see those two trees over there? Yes, sir. Well, don't, one is the tree of, the, of knowledge of good and evil. And one is the tree of life. Now read my lips, son. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't do it. Now why did God do that? Theologians say it was a test. It wasn't a test. Theologians said this, and theologians said that. And theolo- you know what, Bob? My old spiritual father, Wayne Myers, asked me one day. He said, hey, Curly. And I said, yes, sir. He said, uh, did you ever know a theologian that could cast out a devil? I said, I don't think so. You know, sometimes people just, we just get educated beyond our intelligence. Have more degrees than a thermometer. No temperature whatsoever. And he said, uh, don't eat that tree. Well, now my, I'm not going to preach on this, but I, I talked the other night about it. I have a sermon I preached all over the world called Every War is Fought Over Who Owns What. And, and the reason God, in Terry Miles' opinion, the reason God put those trees in the garden and told Adam, do not, he didn't have to do that. He could have put them somewhere else. Adam would never know they existed. He wasn't just tempting him and saying, ha, 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 you can't have it, you can't have it. No, no. The point of putting them there was that every time Adam played with his wife, played with his kids, played with the animals, swam in the rivers, every time he did anything and turned around and happened to see those trees, it reminded him of ownership. Oh, yeah, this is God's garden. Oh, yeah, this is God's. I'm the steward. I can do anything I want to. I'm the, I'm, I'm the big man on campus. But... This is God's garden. It's not mine. It signified ownership. And so we know the story. The snake came and he tempted Eve and she was deceived, but she turned to her husband with her, the Bible says. Now the church has always preached that Adam's 300 miles across the garden fishing and she's over here by herself and the devil deceives her and she messes up. No, no, no. He was right there with her. He sinned big time. And so the devil convinced her to eat, and it says, and she turned to her husband with her and gave him the fruit, and he did eat. He was in on the whole thing. He looked at her and said, I think I'd rather have her. And so he ate. Now when he ate, then God kicks him out of the garden. Now the church has thought for centuries and centuries, and preached this erroneously forever, they thought God kicked him out of the garden because he's mad at him. God kicked him out of the garden to punish him. God kicked him out of the garden for 18 different reasons. No, 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 no. The Bible tells us very plainly why God kicked him out of the garden. It says that God says, I've got to kick them out of the garden to guard the tree of life. See, God never told them don't eat the tree of life. He said don't eat the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They could have eaten the tree of life. Adam ate the wrong tree. He could have eaten that anytime he wanted to. God never told him not to. God said don't eat that tree. But now, God says, now that he's eaten of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and he's in a sinful state, I cannot let him eat of the tree of life and live forever, eternity upon eternity, in the sinful state he's now in. So I have got to guard the tree of life. The Bible tells us all this in Genesis. And... uh, so he kicked them out, not because he's mad at them, not because he hates them, not because he's mean to them, not because he's punishing them, to protect them because he loves them. And he's so serious about it, Ned, that he takes an angel 
and says, you stand here and guard this tree, and here's a flaming sword. And you guard this tree with this flaming sword. The Bible said it turned every which way. And you guard this thing. And if Adam gets in here, he'd have killed him. Don't you let him eat of that tree in the sinful state he's in. We cannot allow that. And that angel would have killed him. If he had gotten in there and tried to eat that tree, he'd have killed him. But the reason he kicked him out was so he wouldn't eat the tree of life and live in a sinful state forever. And it was serious with God. All right? But the plan, Ned, had not changed. This is where the church has messed up forever. They just thought, well, since that, that got fouled up, then the plan changed. No, the plan never, 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 never changed. What was the plan? God wanted a family. plan didn't change. God just said, I've got to do it another way. It's not going to work the way I intended to do it. So I've got to do it another way. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to give them the, 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 the Ten Commandments. I'm going to give them the temple. I'm going to give them the priesthood. I'm going to give them the law. And then I'm going to tell every, every prophet that comes along, I'm going to poke him in the ribs and say, say he's coming. Say he's coming. The Messiah is coming. And every prophet that came along said, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. He'll be born in the city of David. He'll be born in Bethlehem of Judea. He'll, he'll, be, he'll be born of a virgin. He's coming, he's coming. The, the government, the world will rest upon his shoulder. He's coming, he's the Messiah. He's coming. Every prophet that came along, say he's coming. And so Moses prophesied in Deuteronomy 18, 18 and said, a great prophet's coming. Talking about Jesus. David prophesied in the Psalms that a great priest is coming after the order of Melchizedek. Talking about Jesus. Zechariah prophesied in Zechariah 9, 9 and said a great king is coming. And he'll be riding into Jerusalem on, a, on the colt of a donkey, on a, colt, a foal of a horse. He's coming. See, in the Old Testament, only three offices were ever anointed. Only three. And they took a horn. They didn't have a little bottle like we do today and little dabble, do you? No, they took a horn. And filled it up with oil, symbolizing the Holy Spirit, the anointing. And they'd pour it over you. And I mean pour it over the hair and the beard and the robe and the clothes and down on the floor. I mean, it was a mess. But you had to be serious about being anointed. And only three times, three offices ever. And that was the office of the prophet, the office of the priest, and the office of the king. And that's why Moses prophesied the prophet's coming. And David prophesied the priest is coming. And Zechariah prophesied, the king is coming. The prophet, the priest, the king, or the anointed one yeah. is Jesus the Christ. Jesus the anointed one. Jesus the prophet, the priest, the king. All right? And they all said, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Everybody said it. It's the most prophesied event ever in human history. And the church missed it. Can you imagine? It's the most prophesied event in human history ever and the church missed it. Where were they the night Jesus was born? I guess there's a church or camp meeting or listening to tapes or studying Greek and Hebrew or I don't know what they were doing, being spiritual, watching Christian TV. I don't know what they were doing. I just know what they weren't doing. I, know, I don't know where they were. I just know where they weren't. They were not at the birth of Jesus. The Messiah has come, the most prophesied event ever, and they missed it. See, the church can live right in the middle of what God's doing and miss it. I took teenagers to Jamaica every year for over 25 years and taught them to win souls. I'm a soul winner. I can teach somebody else to be a soul winner. You can you reproduce what you are. You can teach, you can teach what you know, but you can reproduce what you are. 
And so I'm a soul winner, so I took, God told me to do it back in the early 80s, like 81, 82, something like that. And I started taking teenagers to Jamaica, and I wouldn't preach when I was there, except one, one time I'd preach for, on a Sunday when we were there, and I'd have all the kids come. The rest of the time, I spent all my time with the kids and make, make friends of mine, preacher friends of mine, pastor friends of mine in Jamaica mad. They say, I can't believe you're here all week and you won't preach for us. You won't. I said, oh, well, I'm not here to preach. I'm here to help these kids. I'm here to win souls with these kids and teach them how to win souls so they can go home and do it and do it the rest of their lives. And so I'd teach them how to, how to win souls. And uh, for years and years and years and years, if we went to Montego Bay, and if I took them downtown Montego Bay, which I did, uh, there was always a street preacher there. He was there for decades. Any kid, I don't think I ever took any of your groups, any kid that ever been from there, all over America, I've taken youth groups. Their kids are old now. I mean, they were, you know, 13 to, you know, whatever, 18 then. Now they're grandparents, you know, but or preachers and all kind of stuff over all these years. But uh, they all remember this street preacher. He, he, he would have a, a, a red bandana tied around his head. He'd have a pencil in this ear, stuck, stuck right up here. And he would have a pair like a khaki pants on, and he always had the right leg rolled up. Not the left leg, but he had, he had the right leg rolled up, you know, to, to almost, almost to his knee. I, I don't know why, I don't know what the purpose was. Always it was, it was rolled up. And then he would preach. But he didn't preach, he screamed. I mean, he just, just screamed. And he had these dancing ladies with him. I guess dancing girls is the oldest deal in the Bible uh, in history. And I go to church today and they still got dancing girls and flag ladies and stuff. I mean, it's just, it's, it's been around forever. And these ladies all wear white dresses, all of them pure white dresses, and they're all dancing, not provocatively or weird, but I mean, just dancing, you know, like church ladies. Uh, and he's preaching. Scream it, would you? They're going to hell. You repent. And I got these teenagers out there, Cheryl, just winning souls like crazy. I mean, like shooting fish in a barrel. They're winning souls. I've taught them how. I'm anointed. They're anointed. They're winning souls. And, and this guy, I've never, in all the 20 some odd years I was down there, I never saw him win a soul ever. Ever. And yet he stood there and watched us win souls every year. Year after year after year after year after year after year after year, he's standing there screaming and preaching, watching these teenagers win souls, living right in the middle of what God's doing, and missed it. And I never figured out him, the dancing girls, the pants leg, the pencil, never figured. Oh, and he always had a red rag hanging out of his back pocket. I never figured out what any of that was for, but I just know he never won a soul. And we won souls like... Renee's, Renee and her husband, Dean, sent their youth group with me many times. I, she's got three kids. I've taken all three of those kids to Jamaica time and time and time and time again. I had a cutoff age at, at 13 because this isn't, this isn't a camp down the road here, a church camp down the road where, where if a kid cries and wants their mama, you can just bring them home at night. This is in Jamaica. I can't bring them home. So, so I, didn't let anybody, I wouldn't let anybody come younger than 13 unless they brought their parent. But then she had a baby, Abigail, who's now 35, uh, and Jackie and I were at the birth the day Abigail were born. We were there at the birth, and Renee and Dean asked us to be godparents, and so I was Abby's godfather all her life. And, and now I'm her stepdad. Pretty soon I'll be my own grandpa. But, but, <laughs> but we started bringing Abby when she was just little, like 8, 9, 10, because even though Dean and Renee weren't there, 
but me and Jackie and all four of my kids, you know, had known her since the day she was born, so she slept with us in our rooms, and, you know, and we just took her all the time. So all those kids went, and one sold, one sold, one sold, one sold. And yet there's this guy just preaching and screaming and preaching and screaming and dancing and carrying on, never won a soul. Here we're winning souls like, you know, hotcakes. And the church can live right in the middle of what God's doing in Mississippi. And the night Jesus was born, where were they? And then on the crucifixion day, where were they? And on resurrection day, where were they? Can you imagine Jesus looked them in the eye and said, hey, the government's going to take me here, and they're going to they're kill me. They're going to execute me, and they're going to bury me. But don't be upset. Don't be despondent. Don't be discouraged. Three days, 72 hours, I'll be back. Jesus told him that. Looked him in the eye and told him. Looked his mama in the eye and told her. She didn't believe it. Nobody believed it. Peter didn't believe it. John didn't believe it. Matthew didn't believe it. Thomas didn't believe it. Nobody believed it. Mary didn't believe it. How you know they didn't believe it, Brother Terry? Because they weren't there three days later. If he had told this group here, hey, I'm gonna, they're going to bury me, but in three days, 72 hours, I'll be back, we'd have just go to the cemetery with our tambourines and our guitars and our video recorders and our fried chicken. <laughs> we'd just have church on the ground for three days and then pow, yes. wouldn't we? course not they didn't I don't think we would they didn't Mary didn't Peter didn't in fact Peter backslid he said I go fishing he watched Jesus die and watched his intestines hanging out watched his backbone visible Had to take him down put him in the grave and he said I'm done I'm going I'm going fishing now when he said I go fishing he didn't mean I go fishing like Terry Myers means when I say I go fishing. I mean, I'm going to go out here and drown some worms and I'll be back after a while. That's not what Peter meant. Peter meant I was a professional fisherman when he found me. That was my business. That's what I did for a living. And he found me. And so I started following him the last three and a half years. And this didn't work. So I'm going back to what I used to do. I'm going fishing. I'm going back to my business. And I've had people say to me over the years, now, nah, Brother Terry, I don't believe that. I don't think Peter backslid. I, don't, I, I just think he went fishing. No, no, I can prove it to you. Because in the end of the book of Mark, when the women came to the tomb, the, the stone was rolled away and an angel was there. And uh, they came and looked and looked shocked and surprised. And he said to the ladies, he said, why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen, as he said. He said, now go tell the disciples and Peter that he's risen. Now you'd think Peter would have been included in this phrase, go tell his disciples. You'd think Peter would be speed dial number one. No, no, no. The angel had already scratched him off the list. He had a little list of disciples. He had scratched Peter off and said, you go tell his disciples. Oh, and by the way, tell Peter that he's risen. The angel did not even consider him in the group anymore. And Jesus blew out of that grave with an explosion the world's still rocking from today that make Richter scales run wild. And he said, I am he that was dead and don't you ever forget it. I'm alive forevermore and I've got the, I've got the keys of death, hell, and the grave and you take them and keep on operating. And now you go into all the world and heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out devils and give God a family. Isn't that amazing? Now, Brother Hagin used to always tell us this. He'd say, you know, if you're leaving Tulsa, Oklahoma, and you're going to Dallas, Texas, he says, you know, it's a four-hour drive. 
And he said, and there's several rivers you got to cross. And he said, you know, if, if in, in 10 or 12, 15 weeks you hadn't got there yet, something's wrong. You're supposed to have got there. He said, and if you come to the river and the bridge is out. He said, you don't just stop, sit down by the side of the road and cry and say, oh, I thought I was supposed to go to Dallas. I guess I'm not supposed to go. I thought I, he said, no, you just go another way. You still take the trip. You still do your job. You still do the same thing. You still complete the mission. You just do it a different way. Well, when Adam sinned, that's what God did. He didn't just stand and cry and say, oh, well, it's over. All is lost. No. He said, well, that didn't work. So I'm going to do it a different way. What's the mission? I want a family. What's the goal? I want a family. What's God believing for? Family. What's God using his faith for? Family. I want souls. He didn't want five or six or ten things. He wants souls. That's the whole deal. You know, the church had been so confused for decades and centuries over that little scripture that Jesus said, uh, the same works that I do, you'll do also. And greater works than these shall you do. Because I go to my Father. In the church, I've heard theologians, I've heard seminary, I've heard, oh my Lord, all these things that that means. And I've never heard anybody get it right yet. And I've had them tell me, these great theologians, I said, what does that mean? They said, well, it means you'll, you'll open blind eyes. I said, no, 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 Jesus did that. And he said, we'd do the same thing he did, so we'll open blind eyes. And I have many times. But I said, he said, greater work. Greater works is not opening blind eyes. He did that. Oh, well, it's raising the dead. Jesus did that. In fact, they did it in the Old Testament. Right? The apostles did it. Well, it's cripples walk. No, Jesus did it. Casting out devil. No, Jesus did that. What's the one thing Jesus didn't do and couldn't do that he said to you, you're going to do? Win souls. Jesus couldn't get people born again because he hadn't died yet. There couldn't be a Christian until there was a Christ. Jesus was the first, the firstborn, the first begotten of many brethren. Well, if Jesus was the first guy ever raised up, not, not raised from the dead, a lot of people have been raised from the dead, but raised to new life, right? If he's the first one that was born again, if he's the first one that's a reborn, if he's the first one raised up to life, then there's going to be a second and a third and a fourth and an 11th and a 47th and you're there and I'm there. And, you know. and so our job is to not only do those miracles that he did, which he said we would do, but then we go further than that and we do what he couldn't do because now he's in heaven making intercession for us. He died on the cross for us. Now people can be born again. They couldn't get born again when he was still alive. Right? Isn't that amazing? So when Adam sinned, God didn't just sit down and cry and say, I can't do it, I can't do it. It's all his law. He said, well, I'm going to have to do this. That didn't work. I'm going to have to do it another way. So he started in on another way. And the world just got, man, they got bad. And finally there in Genesis 6, 7, all in there, God just says, this is really bad. They, they, they're, man's wicked. He says, I'm going to wipe them all out. Start all over. And so he said to an old boy 500 years old named Noah, Noah, I want you to build a boat. I want you to build it this size, by this size, by this size. 
Well, what in the world for? Well, it's because it's going to rain. What's rain? You don't need to know that right now, but you're going to need this boat. And I want you to get it built. And when you get it built, it takes him 100 years to build it. He's 500 years old. It takes him 100 years to build it. I said the other night that you know, his neighbors come out every day going to work and with a lunch balance, and there's no out there building that, building that ark. Hey, Noah, how you doing? I'm good. How about you? You still building that boat? Yeah, I'm still building it. What you building it for, Noah? I've already told you what I'm building it for. It's going to rain. What's rain? I don't know. But God told me to tell you to get in the boat. God talks to you? Hey, great. So for 100 years, he builds this boat. And then when the boat's finished, then, God, then Noah tells those animals to get in the boat. He didn't go out with a net and catch them. He, he told them to get in the boat. He had that same authority and dominion that Adam had over the animals. Noah couldn't just get a net and go out there and catch a rhinoceros. You know, I mean, he, he's got to tell them to get in the boat. So they obeyed and did it. But he preached all those 100 years he preached to people. And bless his heart, he just wasn't as good a preacher as he was a boat builder or an animal getter because he got zero converts. That messed me up, Dennis, and zero converts. I hate, I hate giving an altar call and nobody responds. I mean, Noah got nobody. So when it's all over and said and done, he says to his wife, Mama, get in the boat. And she did, and he said to those three sons of his, get your wives and get in the boat. So they did, so eight people get in the boat. And I told you last night that God shut the door and no man could open it. So now the heathen, all they could do is sing the same old sad song that they're singing today that I can't imitate nagging agony of voice so I don't feel like they feel because I'm redeemed and they're lost. Yes. But they said summer's past, harvest has ended, and we're not saved. We're not saved. And nothing could be done about it. And people ran and clawed on the doors and, and until their fingers were bloody. Girls, let me in. It's your mama. Let me in. It's your best friend. Let me in. Let me in. Couldn't do it. God shut the door. So... This thing now, it begins to rain, and, and faith never makes sense until. For a hundred years, everything Noah said didn't make sense until it thundered and the first drop fell. And they said, oh, my God. This is rain. Rain, 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 rain. Me and you, Lord, right? Nope, it's too late. Too late. You didn't get in the boat. And so, it rains 40 days and 40 nights. You know the story. And the Bible says there in Genesis 8, it says that in the 600th year, talk about Noah's life, in the 600th year, in the, what, seventh month, I'd have to go back and read, the seventh month, the seventh something day, you know, finally, uh, the tops of the mountains begin to appear. And... Uh, Yeah, there are several of those, those verses that talk about the days, but this particular one says the 600th year. So I don't remember which one. It's in Genesis. Uh, see, what, see what verse 1 says. Got to be renewed. I'll go to the next one. See the waters assuaged. Fountains of the deep shut up. Heaven. Okay, go on. Go on. Somewhere in there it says 600 the year. Keep going. Waters increase in the 10th month. I guess none of this is important, but God put it in there for us. Keep, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Dove found water, red, another Well, let me just go right here. Oh, you found it. Yeah, and it came to pass in the 600th and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up. That took a long time, didn't it? 
And so, behold, the face of the ground was dry. Now, when that happens, they come out of the boat. And when they did come out of the boat, in fact, you can go on the next verse. We can just look at it on your, your deal. In the second month, seventh, twentieth day, the earth had gone, and the earth dried up. And now go forth out of the ark, thou and thy wife and thy sons and thy son. Eight people. Eight people live on the whole planet. And they own it all. They're rich. They own Miami. They own Las Vegas. They own Chicago. They, they, they own everything. It's theirs. Nobody else around. And uh, go to the next one. And he says, Now bring forth with you every living thing that's with thee of all flesh, fowl, cattle, creeping thing, uh, that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply. Go on. And Noah went forth and his sons and his wife. All right, go on. Every beast, they all came out. Go on. Right here. And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord. First thing Noah did. First thing he did is he's going to sacrifice to God. First thing. And so he takes these animals. I mean, people say, everybody tell you, he couldn't take those animals because then how can the animals reproduce? Hey, they've been in there for all those years. Those animals are multiplying. Yeah. They, they got extra animals. That's not a problem. <laughs> and so then he takes this, this altar and does a sacrifice, a burnt offering sacrifice of the clean animals to the Lord. Now, when he does, go ahead, when he does, the, that, that was a sweet-smelling savor to the Lord, and he said, I'm not going to curse the earth or the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, neither will I again smite anymore uh, every living thing as I have done. That's when he gave us the rainbow, you know, which is the, the rainbow, by the way, I was talking to Renee about this driving up here the other day, and I said, the rainbow is the token of the covenant. It's not the covenant. It's the token. When you see the rainbow, you say, oh, yeah, the rainbow's not the covenant. The rainbow's the reminder. The rainbow's like the tree in the garden, the reminder. Oh, yeah, God owns this. Oh, yeah, God owns this. See? Remember when Joseph went into captivity, sold, sold to captivity by his brothers, and so uh, a military guy by the name of Potiphar bought, jo bought Joseph, and, and, and he started getting blessed because of Joseph was there. And so he just kept giving Joseph more authority, more authority, more, more authority, more responsibility. And pretty soon, Joseph said this about himself. He said, I'm the greatest person in this whole family and business. He said, man, I got the checkbook. I hire, I fire, I sell, I buy. My master doesn't even know what, what he's worth. And so I said, a cup of coffee down on the table in front of me and he didn't know what he's worth. He didn't know. I, I know. I keep the books. Right. right? And then here comes this perverted woman, Potiphar's wife, and she says, go to bed with me. He said, I'm not going to do it. And she said, you will. And he said, I won't. She said, you will. He said, I won't. And he said, listen, I can have everything your, your husband has. It's all mine. I'm the head guy. And I can have everything but you. You are his wife. Well, what did she signify? Ownership. What did the rainbow signify? Ownership. What did the tree signify? Ownership. Every war is fought over who owns what. And that tree said, God owns this garden. The rainbow says, God owns this place. Potiphar's wife said, Potiphar is the owner. You're just the steward. And that's why God gave us tithing, Bob. Because tithing says ownership. 
ownership. Oh, man, look at this money I made. Oh, yeah, God owns it. So I'm setting a portion tenth. If y'all weren't here last night, y'all to get the deal. I talked a little bit about my friend Creflo Dollar. Love Creflo, but he, you know, he got on TV here a while back. I'm not talking about his back because he put this ad on TV to everybody. Otherwise, I wouldn't say it. So this is public knowledge. And he said, I'm recanting everything I've ever believed or taught about tithing, everything everybody ever taught me about tithing. You know, there's no tithing in the New Testament, which, of course, there is. And he said, you know, you, 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 you don't tithe. Tithe was the law. No, it was before the law. Anyway, if you weren't here last night, you ought to get it, and you'll understand some things. But that tithing, that tithe says God owns it all. God is and I said to you last night, I've tithed all my life as an, as, honor to, as an honor, as a privilege, as a choice. You couldn't talk me out of it. Right. I mean, 150,000 preachers couldn't talk me out of it. I, I, you know, the Bible says, taste and see the Lord's good. Well, you're too late to tell me tithing doesn't work. I've tasted. Yes, I mean, all over the world I've tasted. I've done it in the jungles. I've done it in the rivers. I've done it in the deserts. I've done it in the valleys. I've done it when people are trying to kill me. And I tell you, it sure is nice when somebody's trying to kill you to say, Lord, I got tithers' rights. You said you'd rebuke the devourer for my sake. So y'all pay tithes if you want to or don't if you want to. I don't care. Oh, he's trying to. thought I had something on my shirt. My pockets grow money. Thank you. Bless you. Father, multiply it. Return it. But the... Uh, the ownership factor in Potiphar's wife is that you are his wife. I can have anything. I buy and sell and find. I'm the head guy and the big man on campus. But you remind me that I am the steward and he is the owner. Well, that's what, that's what that tree did. That's what tithing does. Oh, Lord, this is yours. This. See, the Bible says the tithe is holy. It's holy. There's some things in the Bible that are holy. The sanctuary is holy. You shouldn't act like a jerk in here. It's the sanctuary. The sanctuary. Well, anyway. So God said to Noah and the boys and, and, the, and, and the girls. He said, okay, you're the only eight people alive on the planet, so get your notepad. Get your tape recorder. Get your pencil and paper. I'm going to tell you what you're here for. I'm going to give you your reason for existing on planet Earth, your goals, your vision, your dreams, your plan. This is why you're here. You ready for this? Here's, here's your reason for existence. Are you ready? Yes, sir, Lord, we're ready. And he said the same thing. Give us another scripture. He said multiply and be fruitful. Give me another, the next scripture. Oh, that's what it gives those four immutable laws I talked about last night. While the earth remains, that's so powerful. The earth, what God said, while the earth remains, yes. here's four laws that will never, never, no man can change it. Nancy Pelosi can say, save the planet, save the planet, save the planet. <laughs> man can't destroy the planet. Man can't save the planet. God's going to destroy it. And he says, as long as earth remains, here's four laws. There will be seed time and harvest. There'll be cold and heat. There'll be summer and winter. There'll be day and night. 
Nobody can change that. And then go on. That's the immutable laws he gave them. And God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, here's your reason for existence on planet Earth. Multiply and be fruitful and replenish the earth. Same thing he said to Adam in the garden before the curse. He's saying to Noah, out of the garden, after the curse, with sin, but the plan never changed. This is where the church has missed it forever. The, they think the plan changed. Oh, when, when Adam sinned, everything's in. No, nothing changed, except things aren't going to be as good as they used to be. You don't get to live in the garden anymore. <laughs> now you got to work. Now you got to sweat, you know. But the plan was the same. It did not change. Give me a family. So then he gives them, as I said, while ago, gives them the law and the Ten Commandments and the priest and the priesthood and the temple and the sacrifices, all that stuff, and said, say he's coming. So Jesus finally comes. Now, he preaches for three and a half years, and uh, Jesus knows, y'all good, you still here? Jesus knows something the disciples don't know and cannot have any way of knowing. Jesus knows there's about to be a paradigm shift. They don't know it. Jesus knows this thing's about to change like nobody's ever figured out before. There's about to be, I mean, the veil in the temple's going to be rent. <laughs> We're living now in the Old Testament. The disciples didn't know what the Old Testament was. We're living in the Old Covenant. The disciples didn't know what the Old Covenant was. Jesus knew we're living in the Old Covenant, but I'm about to hang on the cross I'm about to pay for this whole thing. And when I do, I'm going to say, it is finished. And that doesn't mean like the church always thought. Jesus said, I'm dead. This is finished. I'm dead. It's over. No, no. He means the old covenant is consummated. It's finished. It's done. It's completed. I've paid in blood. Right? And Jesus knows, Renee, that we're about to move into a new covenant, a new testament. They don't, most boys don't know any of that. You wouldn't expect them to know it. But Jesus knows what's about to happen. He knows there's going to be a paradigm shift. And yet he's talking to guys that he knows very well, and they're not known for their smarts. They're not known for their faith. They're not known for their faithfulness. They, did, they, they were a dull bunch. Nobody, I've always said, Jesus, nobody had a duller Bible class than Jesus. They were the dullest bunch in the box. Until, until they got the Holy Ghost. Once the paradigm shift happened, once the New Testament happened, once the veil was in the temple was rent, once they went to the day of Pentecost and got the Holy Ghost, they got real smart. Right? And all of a sudden, whoa, everything has changed. We got it. We're, we're in a new deal here. Today we'd call it a dispensation. Do y'all do see what's happening here? Now, but now stop and think with me. We're still in the old covenant. Jesus is thinking, I got to tell these guys how to live the rest of their lives here. I, I, I'm about to leave them. They don't know I'm going to leave them, but I'm about to leave them. I'll never see them again. They'll never see me again until they die and come to heaven. I've got to leave this thing, this thing, I've got to leave with them. And they hadn't done too well. And one of them betrayed me and killed himself. He's gone. And one of them is backslid. He's gone. 
denied me, cursed, and said he didn't know me. And see, Jesus, the Bible said, had these 12 disciples. And then it said he had another 70 disciples. That's 82. And then, and then Luke 8 tells us he had all these women. How many women? I don't know. It says many women who traveled with him all the time. And, and, and it named three of them. That's a big deal in the Bible. When the, when the Bible names a woman, it's a big deal. And it named three of them. It said Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven, seven devils. Now, by the way, side note, Terry Miser's opinion, uh, our commentary, the church for centuries has said Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. Everybody believes that. They make movies that she's a prostitute. And maybe she was. I don't care. Jesus redeemed her whatever she was. So, so it's not that it's not important. It's just the church makes a big deal out of it. She is a prostitute. And there is no, no evidence of any kind, anywhere, that that's true. The only reason the church says it is because a, a, a Catholic pope, I forget which number he was, way, 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 way back, is the one that first said it. And he said, Mary Magdalene came from the city of Magdala. And Magdala had all these prostitutes, ergo, she was a prostitute. There's no, there's no, there, maybe she was. It's okay if she was. I don't care. I'm just saying, she's, I think she gets a bad rap. I mean, Puna Gorda has prostitutes. That doesn't mean all you ladies are prostitutes. Port Charlotte has prostitutes. Miami has prostitutes. Tulsa has prostitutes. Dallas has prostitutes. But nobody say, oh, she's from, she's from Tulsa. She's a prostitute. Oh, Mary's from Magdala. She's a prostitute. What? There's, no, there's no proof of that. But anyway, I don't, I don't care. I just don't like her getting a bad rap when there's no proof of it. Anyway, it says, Mary, Mag, Mary called Magdala, out of whom went seven devils, and Susanna who was the wife of Chusa, and Chusa was King Herod's CPA. He's the guy that keeps the king's money. It says he was Herod's steward. So this lady is pretty high politically. And she knows other ladies in other towns that are high politically. You know, there's that whole, women do this networking thing better than anybody. Women have always been the backbone of the church. That's why Jesus always had all these women with him. And it says, and Joanna and many others, which ministered to him of their substance. That's what Luke, you go read Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 1. It said Jesus had all these disciples to have with him everywhere he went, and many women. And it names Mary and Joanna and Susanna. And many others who ministered to him of their substance. See, they've always been the backbone of the church. When I was a little boy, the women were the backbone of the church. They would sow things and sell them for the church. They would cook things and sell them for the church. Women were always involved in the church. Now, they're not so much so today because back then women didn't work outside the house as much. And so they, they had time, and so they would, they would give their time to the church and they would sew, and they would bake, and they would sell, and they would, they would pray, lots of prayer. Those women Renee was talking about, they'd come back and get the teenagers. I mean, in her church, they got her, and my church, they got me. And she said, son, let's go, let's go to the prayer room. You know, there's a church in Dallas uh, back in that day named Shady Grove. 
Shady Grove is where Robert Morris, if y'all know who Robert Morris is of Gateway, Shady Grove, Robert used to be the youth leader there. When my buddy Wayne Myers was preaching all those missions conventions, which is where Robert Morris got his love for, for missions and so on and so forth. But anyway, Shady Grove had a prayer room, as many churches did, but many churches doubled their prayer room for something else. Shady Grove never did that. It was for prayer and prayer only. It was not a fellowship hall. You didn't eat in there. You didn't drink in there. You went in there and prayed. And in a five-year period, Shady Grove had to re-carpet the prayer room three times. In five years, three times, they had to re-carpet, not because anything was spilled on it, not because it was dirty, because they wore it out praying. God used to move in this country, and there was a reason for it. Amen. So, so the women prayed. Nowadays, women are like men. You know, they, they, they're out in the workforce. And they fire and hire and buy and sell. And they think about business. And they think about money. And they think about who am I going to hire, who am I going to fire. You know, and they have office adultery like the men do. And they stand around the water cooler and tell dirty jokes like the men do. And, they, you know, they, they, they've become like the men. And so the church has suffered because they don't have that fire support of those women that were so... Don't you know that when Jesus was going to go to a town, like, like next Tuesday he's going to go to Capernaum? Don't you know that Joanna and Susanna and some of these ladies wrote little, wrote little missives? Anybody know what a missive is? Us old folks know what a missive is. It's a note. In the old days we wrote missives. You're a school teacher, Cheryl. You would know what that is. And they would write these notes and send along to the head lady of that town, the mayor's wife of that town, the businessman's wife of that town. And they'd say, next Tuesday at 10 o'clock, Jesus is coming to your town, and I'm coming with him, and uh, you get your ladies together and bring the sick to the, to the town square or to, the, to this place or that place, and have them bring all the sick people. How do you, how do you think Jesus had those meetings? It's because of those women and because of those disciples. But anyway, my point was, I'm off my point as usual, but Jesus had 82, uh, 82 disciples, the 12 and the 72. Then he had all those women. But then at the, at the crucifixion, he had none. Jesus looked around and nobody's there. Paul said, uh, Paul said I, I looked around and no man stood with me save the Lord. Paul had all these guys and all of a sudden when the trouble came, Paul said, hey guys, hey. So Jesus went from this 82 plus the women plus, plus, plus down to the 12, Judas dead, 11, Peter backslid 10. His own mama doesn't believe it. Isn't that amazing? And so then when he resurrects from the dead, he comes out of the grave and he gathers them all together and Peter comes back. Now stop and think about this, and I'm going to let you go. Stop and think about this. Jesus now realizes, as I just said, hey, I'm about to leave. We're now in the New Testament. These guys don't know we're now in the New Testament. Nobody knows it. I know it. The veil in the temple has been rent. There's a paradigm shift. The old stuff has passed away. I fulfilled the law. Haven't done away with the law. I fulfilled it. I've had people come to me for decades, uh, Nid, and say, Now, Brother Terry, Jesus came and did away with the law. I said, No, I said, Really? I said, Which law did he do away with? 
Let's take the Ten Commandments and look at them. Uh, Jesus did away with it. It's okay to kill now. Thou shalt not kill. It's okay to kill. Well, no, brother, you can't kill. Well, it's okay to steal now. Oh, no, brother, you can't steal. It's okay to commit adultery. No, well, no, brother, Terry. You can have other false gods before you now. No, 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 brother, Terry. Can't. Well, which one, which one did he do away with? He didn't do with any of them. And you know, as I've traveled the world as a missionary for 54 years, I've noticed that, that in every law in every country, the laws in every country of the world and the laws in the jungle when I go out in the villages, they're all based on Ten Commandments. Every one of them say you can't kill somebody. Every one of them say you can't steal. In fact, there are countries you steal or cut your hand off. That's that law that they didn't even know was in the Bible is still the law in the world. And I don't know about y'all. I've said this in your pulpit here before, but I, I like law. I, I don't have a problem. People say, oh, law, I hate, brother. But I, tell you, I hate the Old Testament. I hate law. I hate law. I hate law. I say, well, you're just ignorant. <laughs> I've said, how would you like to go to Miami tomorrow? And there's no law. No cops. No stop signs. No, no, no stop lights. Law of the jungle. Because some law is going to work. It's either going to be the law or it's going to be the law of the jungle or the law of the fittest, the only the strong survive, kill the old people, kill the babies. You know, Bill Gates, y'all may love Bill Gates and, and, and think he's a really smart guy, but Bill Gates is trying hard and has said this several times. He, there's 7.8 billion people on the earth and he only wants 1 billion. He wants to kill 6.8 billion people. Now you think Hitler's bad because he killed 60,000. I mean 6 million, excuse me. Bill Gates... That nerdy little idiot. If he was here today, I'd show him what for. I mean, he wants, he says there's just too many people on the planet. Well, who's he to say that? That's like these church people that say, well, church is too long, Pastor. Who are you to say it's too long when God's talking? You know, you know the number one phrase in American church people has been for the last number of years now is, don't judge me. That's the number one Christian phrase. Don't judge. Let's hear you don't judge. I would say, you not, Hid. My job's to judge you. That's what God told me to do in the Bible. I have, people write me every, every, every time there's an election, and, I, and I'm talking about election, uh, or especially presidential, but others as well. People write me on Facebook and say, Brother Terry, don't judge the president. I can't believe you're a man of God and you're judging him. And I write them back and say, well, how come you're a moron? My job is to judge him. He's the hired help. This is America. We don't have a monarchy. We don't have a king, a queen that inherits it from their family for generations and generations. That's a different, that's a different system. This is America. We have, we have hired help. And they run for office. And then we look at them and we listen to them and we question them and we judge them. And then we vote, nope. Or we vote, yep. And then we put them in office and say, do what I told you to do. And if they don't, we fire them. We judge them again. And then we put somebody else in. That's our job is to judge. You need to tell every friend you know, our job is to judge politicians. And yet these goofy little charismaniac Christians think they know something about the Bible. And they know nothing about the Bible. And they say, but I tell you, don't judge the president. you got to be kidding me. That's my job. He's just a hired help. The mayor's the hired help. The governor's the hired help. They're just, they're just Congress, senators. They're the hired help. And most of them are crooks. 
And our job is to judge them and fire them or hire them. And then Christians say, don't judge me, don't judge me. Don't. Well, you got to be kidding me. We're going to judge people all the time. Amen. Some bad guy comes in here and starts causing trouble in the church. I'm going to go get him and throw him out the door. I'm going to judge him. may slap him upside the head a few times. He's got demons. I'll cast them out. That's my job. And Christians just get these little verses. They pull out a, some obscure passage somewhere and try to make a doctrine. You can't just pull a scripture and make a doctrine. Are you all here? So Jesus is thinking, you know, these guys aren't doing so good. I mean, their track record is not so hot. But I've got, I'm about to leave this whole thing with them. And the, the, they've got to start the first church. And that church has got to last 2,000 years till I come back. And here's the scary thing. If they blow it, Bill, if they blow it, there's not going to be a third man Adam. God sent the first man, Adam, and he blew it. So God sends Jesus, the second man, Adam, and he didn't blow it. And now he's turning it over to these, these, these 11 misfits. Peter's come back. And if they blow it, it's over. God loses. There's not going to be a third man, Adam. This is it. And Jesus knows this. They don't know this. They're just fat, dumb, and happy. Say, hey, I'm glad Jesus is back. Praise the Lord. They don't know he's about to leave. And they're going to have to do it. And they're going to have to do it until he comes back. What, what business in the universe has ever lasted this long? Started by 10 guys, 11 guys. And here 2,000 years later, it's still going strong all over the world. And they've tried to snuff it out all over the world. I mean, armies have tried to snuff it out. Kings have tried to snuff it out. Terrorists have tried to snuff it out. Imams have tried to snuff it out. Sheiks have tried to snuff it out. You know, the Greeks came and went. The Persians came and went. The Medes came and went. The Romans came and went. They all came and went. Ayatollah Khomeini came and went. Saddam Hussein came and went. Stalin came and went. Mao came and went. Pol Pot came and went. Stalin came and went. Lenin came and went. <laughs> Biden came and I'm ready for him to win. You know, Dennis, every time we're in Ukraine and Russia, years and years ago in the wall field, they pulled down the hammer and sickle and they pulled down Stalin, Lenin, and Mark's statue, except in the eastern part where Putin's trying to take back over again. In the eastern part of Ukraine, they all still love Russia and all still love communism and all still love what I've always referred to as the Three Stooges, you know, Stalin, Lenin, and Marx. And the first time I ever went to Russia and, and, and Ukraine was way long before the wall fell, and I had to sneak in. And I smuggled in Bibles, and I, I smuggled meetings in to train pastors. And, you know, I, I, I passed out tracts on Red Square uh, at the Kremlin. I, I personally passed out 10,000 tracts. Can you imagine? 
Those people were so hungry. I had, I had a black duffel bag, not like a briefcase, but you know, my black, like I have today, but I had another one then. Black duffel bag, just a zipper bag, you know, about yay wide and about yay long, strapped. And I had that thing so full of trash, 10,000 trash. Well, I had more in the hotel than I'd refill it. But, and, 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 and they're wrapped in cellophane like this, you know, several hundred to, and, and I started passing out tracks on Red Square one day at the Kremlin during, the, during communism. I mean, the wall has not fallen. And uh, totally, all this is illegal. And I mean, people started gathering and gathering and gathering and gathering until finally I just took that bag, pulled it around in front of me like this and unzipped it, pulled it open. And, and I'd reach in and grab a, a deal of tracks and break the cellophane like that and never move my hands. Hands would come from everywhere and take it. And I'd pick up another and then take it. And I'd break it. I mean, I stood there and did 10,000 tracks, and I never saw one, one, one. I never saw one hit the ground. I saw one old lady, look like she was about 300 years old, and she, she grabbed hers, and she looked at it, and she said, ah, and threw it like that. And, and I saw, and I'm watching her do it, because I'm sitting around the corner of my eye. And before it hit the ground, somebody went like that and grabbed it, and it never, it never hit the ground. I even gave one to Mr. Lennon. You know, his body's just laying out there for you to see. You can just walk up into his, into his deal. Here, buddy, you ought to have one of these. You should have had one of these before you started burning in hell. Amen? But that's the plan of God to win souls. God wants a family. It may be oversimplified, but it is the plan. Now, stop and think about this. Jesus cannot change the plan. Think about that. Just because it's New Testament, just because the paradigm shift, just because the veil's been, that Jesus can't say, okay, new, new plan. No, no, no. He's got to stick with the garden plan. He's got to stick with the ark flood plan. He can't change that. So he stands up five times and gives us what we call the Great Commission, what I call the only commission. Get the gospel to the world. Give God a family. And so Matthew 28 he says to his disciples, this is after the, after the resurrection now. You know, as a teenager, I was, I was studying one day and praying for my youth group. I was a youth leader, and, and I was praying, asking the Lord to help me and give them something they could, they could stand by and do and stuff. And, uh, and one day I was, I was uh, when I do the Bible all my life, when I get in the Bible, I actually get in there. And I run around with Jesus, and I listen to what they say and see what they see and smell what they smell. And, listen to what this lady said and that beggar said and listen to what Peter said about it and listen to what this guy. And I just kind of go with them. Always have done that. Just, yeah, what did they say? What did this guy say? What did they think? Why did that lady do that? Why did, you know, just kind of watch and what Jesus did, how he reacted to what they did and responded to what they did. And so I just always did that and I always said it get, thought it gave me a leg up, you know. And so one day I was telling the Lord, I said, you know, I, said, I just think it's so cool how you've helped me just get in the Bible and just walk around with Jesus to decide. I just think it's so cool that I can do that, that you've given me that ability, and I can just, just hear what's being said and see what's being said and see what's done. And, 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 and so I went along that little trail for a minute or two, and then I said, Lord, I wonder when the important time would have been to be with Jesus. Because at first I thought, it sure would be fun just to just run out with Jesus when he did all those miracles. We probably all thought that. Boy, wouldn't it be fun to be there when he did this and did that. But as soon as I thought that, I thought, oh, wait a minute. Every time wasn't fun. It wasn't always fun to be with him. He got in trouble a lot. 
So I thought, hmm, I wonder when I wouldn't, wouldn't have wanted to be with him. Maybe I just go down to McDonald's or Starbucks and get me a cup of coffee. And uh, then I thought, well, I wonder when the important time would be to be there. Then I thought from there, I said, I wonder when the time that Jesus would have thought it was important for me to be there. So I'm just thinking this. I'm just daydreaming. And when I did, I hit on this key of what I'm just talking about tonight. And I said, it had to be the last 40 days. That made a good book title, The Last 40 Days. But I thought, you know, from the time Jesus resurrected to the time he ascended was 40 days. 40 days. See, everything in the Bible is based on feast, right? Everything with God's feast. Everyone try to figure God out and look at the feast. And, uh, and if you ever want to put God on a psychiatrist's couch and psychoanalyze him, always remember that everything with God is seed time and harvest. You'll be way ahead of the game if you'll figure out everything he's doing is about seed time and harvest. So you, 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 if you want to psychoanalyze him, you work on that seed time and harvest thing. And, uh, and I thought, well, Jesus was, the, Jesus was the unleavened bread, the feast of unleavened bread. In fact, the Jews to this very day, which is where we get our hide the Easter egg thing from, Jews to this very day, they go hide the unleavened bread just before Passover. And then the kids hunt for it. They hunt and hunt and hunt and hunt and hunt for it. And so Jesus was Passover. He was the Passover lamb. That's a feast. So he became the, the, the unleavened bread. And then when he resurrected, he was first fruits. And I can explain this to you. It'd take a long time, so I'm not even going to do it tonight. But, but, but God literally had to take a, a calendar date, a year when all these days would fall in line exactly because they're not, they're, they don't fall in the same line every year. You know, it's just like Easter with us. Easter with us isn't the same day every year. It, it fluctuates. The day of Pentecost isn't the same year every day. It fluctuates. And it fluctuates because we, we, celebrate, we, we celebrate the day of Pentecost seven Sundays after Easter. Well, the Jews celebrate uh, the Feast of Shavuot, not Shabbat. Shabbat's the Sabbath, but Shavuot, they, they, which is the Feast of Weeks, seven Sabbaths after Passover to this day. Now, I can't get into all this, and you, you wouldn't want me to anyway. It's like, oh, shut up, let's go home. Uh, but it is important. You ought to study it out sometimes. So, so seven, seven Sabbaths or Sundays or weeks, Saturdays in Israel, uh, after Passover is Shabbat or the Feast of Weeks. Now, the Feast of Weeks all through the Old Testament was when the Jews celebrated that because that's when they say that God gave Moses the law, the Ten Commandments, on Sinai, Mount Sinai, right? Well, <laughs> come on, Terry, don't make this complicated. Um, when, when the people all spoke the same language in the whole world, and they said, we're going to build a tower, tower and, and call it Babel, and, and I mean, God called it Babel and, and confused their language. When he confused their language, they had one language, and he separated the languages. When he separated the languages, it separated the people because the people that could talk the same went to a place. 
Well, out of those people that got separated, he chose one people, which became the Jews. And that became his people, right? Well, out of that people, his people, he picked the Messiah, right? And he said, I'm taking the Messiah out of these, out of these guys. So all these years, they spoke different languages. In fact, I've told the Lord so many times, Bob, over the years as a missionary, I said, Lord, are you sure that whole messing with the languages things was, a, was I'm not sure that was your best idea. That, that's caused missionaries and me a lot of trouble over the years. If we just spoke one language, it sure would be a lot easier. You sure seem to foul that up. But anyway, so, so that was all separated. But then Jesus told them, I want you to go to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. Now, Pente means what? Five. Pentecost is 50 days after Easter. All right? So Jesus comes out of the ground, and from that point to the day of Pentecost, when they get the Holy Ghost, is 50 days. Well, he spends 40 with them. And he tells them some stuff. And then... He leaves, and then 10 days later, they're in the upper room. Here comes the Holy Spirit, cloven tongues like as a fire, rushing, mighty rushing wind, and they get the Holy Ghost. And when they get the Holy Ghost, what happens to the languages? God brings all those languages back again. And so they go out in the street, and, and, and people say, what's wrong with these guys? Man, they're all drunk and talking crazy, and, and it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. And, and somebody said, no, wait, that's, that's the language for my country. Somebody else said, oh, that's the language for my country. I understand what they're saying. And God brought those languages back. So, so as the Jews separate, celebrate all these centuries, the Feast of Weeks, when God gave the law to Moses, the church celebrates <laughs> the day of Pentecost. Now, most churches in America don't know much about the day of Pentecost. I travel overseas a lot. The day of Pentecost is a big deal. It's a big deal overseas in almost every country I go to. America kind of says, what? But the day of Pentecost is when church historians and theologians say the church started. The law was given here on the Feast of Weeks in the Old Testament, but on the day of Pentecost, God started the church. So the disciples got the Holy Ghost. Peter went out and preached that day and got 3,000 people saved. And the first church started. He preached his next sermon a little bit later and got, and got uh, uh, 5,000 saved. So now there's 8,000. A while ago there was just 10. Now there's 8,000. The devil says, getting a migraine headache. He's saying, what? We had them down to eight. Now there's, now there's, now there's 8,000. And it's never quit since then. But God brought those languages back together for what? For harvest. To give God a family. I don't know if that helps y'all or not, but I like it. And I could make it a lot more complicated, but we won't. So Jesus knows all this, and they don't. So Jesus says, yeah, they're not going to see me again until they die. They've got to start the first church. It's got to last. So he, he tells them in, in the end of Matthew, he says, now go into all the world and teach all things I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Well, that's the Great Commission in Matthew. In other words, but, but what's he saying to him? 
He's saying, I can't change what God said. God said in the garden, give me a family. God said at the ark, coming out of the ark, give me a family. I can't change that. So what I have to say to them is give God a family, only now it doesn't, it's not just, just Jews. Now you can go around the whole world and give God a family. So then he says it to them again in Mark. And he says, Mark chapter 16, starting at verse 15, he says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, all the world, every creature, all the world, every creature. Now he knows these guys. He knows they're not going to preach to the Gentile. He knows they're not going to leave Jerusalem. They're not going to leave Israel. They're not going to preach to anybody but a Jew. So he says, all the world, every creature, and he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Damned to where? Hell. Damned for how long? Eternity. And these signs shall follow them that believe. And, and he listed the signs in the order of simplicity, the easiest thing first. He said, my name you cast out devils. Well, the easiest thing a Christian can do is dispatch the devil on short notice. And you drink any deadly thing, and, and if you take up serpents, they won't hurt you, and if you, and if you and, and lay hands on the sick, and they'll recover. Then it says, and the disciples went everywhere and preached, the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following. All right, the Great Commission in Mark. Then in Luke, Dr. Luke wasn't with them. He didn't know Jesus personally. He came along later. He's a medical doctor. He comes along later, and he knows the disciples. And so he interviews the disciples, and out of his interviews, he writes the book of Luke. And then later he traveled with Paul and wrote the book of Acts, right? And Dr. Luke, I don't know, I, I never have figured out Luke. I never have figured out if Luke was just smarter than everybody else or if he was just more scared than everybody else or if he knew how to use his doctor's credentials to get out of stuff. Because anytime you read the book of Acts, you ought to go read the book of Acts. Luke wrote it, and, and anytime there's good stuff going on, it says, we did this. <laughs> Paul and us did this miracle time and time again. But anytime they went to jail or got beat, it always says they went to jail. <laughs> they got beat. Paul and they, it's like, where'd you go? What happened to Luke? Luke was never in on the bad stuff. He's only, you know, I never have figured that out. But anyway, I'll ask him when I get to heaven. But he interviewed all these guys and he wrote the book of Luke. And so when he gets down to what we're calling chapter 24, in verse 47, Luke writes this. He says that repentance and remission of sins be preached in his name in all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So the Great Commission in Luke. Okay. Then you go over to the book of John, chapter 20, 21, verse 21. Jesus says, now as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And in verse 23, whoever sins you remit, they'll be remitted. Whoever sins you be retained, they'll be retained. Or the Great Commission in John. Book of Acts, five times. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, five times he tells us the Great Commission. Acts, he says, verse, chapter 1, verse 8, Now when you get the Holy Ghost, you'll be a witness for me, both in Jerusalem. Now listen to the syntax here. His language is weird. His syntax is here. Jesus never talked this way anywhere else in the Bible. This is the only place he talked weird. And listen to the weirdness of what he said. He said, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. He didn't talk like that anywhere else. He could have just said, get the gospel to the world. 
But he made it very, very, very specific. Why did he do that? Because he knows who he's talking to. He knows they're not going to go to Samaria. They're not going to preach to the rest of the world. They're not going to preach to a Gentile. Gentiles are dogs. And in Matthew chapter 10, it says he called him his 12 disciples and gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and, over, and to heal all manner of sickness, all manner of disease. Now, you guys need to do just like I'm doing. I only preach to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So you do the same thing. You only preach to Jews. Then he said this, now read my lips. Into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. You got that, boy? Don't you ever. Peter wrote down on his arm, probably, so help me God, I'll never talk to a Samaritan. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't you? I mean, Jesus looked you in the eye and just told you, don't you do it. Yeah. So you lock that in, man. That's, that's, that's forever. That's my rule forever. So help me God, I'll never talk to a Samaritan. But that's the old covenant. Jesus knows that. Now it's new covenant. They don't know that. Jesus knows that. Paradigm shift. Jesus knows that. Veil of the temple has been split. Jesus knows that. So Jesus knows now it's not for the Jews anymore alone. It's now for everybody. So that's why Jesus says, listen, guys, when you get the Holy Ghost, I want you to preach both. <laughs> In Jerusalem and all Judea. Now listen, guys. And Samaria. What's the last thing they heard about Samaria? Don't you dare talk to a Samaritan. And the uttermost parts of the earth. He knew they weren't going to get that. They looked him right in the eye and watched him read his lips and they said, right, Lord, the whole world, we got it, the Jewish world. Never entered their mind to preach to a Samaritan. Never entered their mind to preach to a dog, to the scum of the earth, a Gentile. That's why he said it's so weird. But it's the fifth time he's told them. And they still hadn't got it. Now, about 20 years ago, all throughout history, 200, 300 years, I don't care how far you go back, until about 20 years ago, you could ask any church person of any denomination, Catholic, Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, I don't care what they are. You could have said, what's the Great Commission? And they'd all told you. It's winning souls. Going to the world and winning, telling people about Jesus. Catholics, anybody would tell you that. But about 15 or 20 years ago, some knothead, I don't know who it was, I'd like to slap him if I could figure out who did it, sold the church this bill of goods that you should just read Matthew 28. Give me the last couple of verses of Matthew 28. Are you awake? Well, never mind. Now, look what he said. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, A-double-L, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them. Here's the problem. Some knothead about 20 years ago keyed in on that word teaching. And they went to the concordance and said, what does that mean? Now, I have a love-hate relationship with concordances. What I don't like about concordances is that when you want to look up a word, you find a word in the Bible you want to look up, you go look up that word. And it may have 15 or 20 definitions. And you being a human, you're going to pick the one you like or the one that sounds good to you or fits your sermon. 
Never mind if that's not the right answer. But it's one of the answers in the concordance. So they looked up teaching. And one of the many, many definitions said, make disciples. So they keyed on it. Bam! That's the Great Commission. Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples. And so every church, now if you ask any church, Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, Pentecostal, it doesn't matter what it is, word of faith, if you say, what's the Great Commission? Where they would have used to told you, you go win souls for Jesus. Now they'll tell you, you make disciples. So what are we saying? We're saying, don't win souls anymore. Don't reach the lost. I've got a tape out there on the or a CD out there called, are we, are we reaching the lost or are we just teaching the taught? See, there's nothing wrong with teaching the taught. I'm doing that here tonight. Y'all are taught. You know stuff. I'm teaching you. You know, nothing wrong with that. But I wouldn't call it missions. I don't think I'm doing missions tonight. Right? I'm just teaching the taught. Hopefully I might make a few disciples. Not for me, God forbid, but for the Lord. You should never make disciples for you. God doesn't like that. Everybody thinks it's about God to make disciples for me, but that's not what Jesus did. No, 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 no. So they have said, okay, Brother Terry. <laughs> There's a missions conference I preach at almost every year in another state, and, and there'll be 50 missionaries there, and they love it. And the pastor or somebody in the church has made a big banner over here, and it has that, and it has that scripture. It has that scripture, and it says it, it only it has the whatever other translation it is. I don't remember which one it is. This is make disciples. And so every year when I preach that, I say, see that sign? That's not right. I don't know why you keep having it in your church, but it's not right. And they just keep keeping it there. I don't know why. So people tell me, Brother Terry, the Great Commission is making disciples. I say, no, it's not. So, so, so let's say that you guys are Christians. Let's say you guys are sinners. You're going to die and go to heaven. You're going to die and go to hell. So what Jesus wants me to do is come over here and preach the gospel to you and get you saved so you can go to heaven. Give God a family. But what the church tells me to do is forget them but go re-preach to them and 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 give them another Greek word and another Hebrew word and re-preach to them and make disciples of them while they're going to hell. Now that's about as wrong as you can get. And it violates what God said about give me a family. Nothing wrong with preaching to these people. Nothing wrong with building them up. I hope we're building them up. They go to church. They get the word. They're Christians. I hope they'll go out and win those folks. Nothing wrong with teaching Christians. It's just not missions. It's not the Great Commission. Don't, don't confuse the two. I know when I'm preaching to Christians, and I know when I'm preaching to sinners. And when I'm preaching to sinners, my job is to give God a family to bring them in to get them saved. When I'm teaching Christians, and I'm teaching them the Word to build them up, but these are the ones that Jesus died for. Jesus never, never, never died for a Christian. He only died for sinners. So we've got to go get the sinners. Now, to wrap all this up, five times, Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, 47, John 20, 21, Acts 1, 8. This is the only one that the church today quotes because it says making disciples in another translation. And this is the only one that doesn't say anything about 
sinners or hell. So if the other four, look, look at Mark 16. Mark 16, starting at verse 15, tells us very plainly he's talking about sinners. Because he uses words like this, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, go on. And he that believeth, look here, this isn't Christians here. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Damned to where? Hell, down for how long? Eternity. Go on. And then he signs for them. Now, now go to Luke 24 and verse 47. You like that? That repentance, see that word? Repentance? He's not talking about Christians. He's not talking about making disciples. He's not talking about teaching the word to Christians and making disciples out of them. He's talking about talking to sinners. That repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning in Jerusalem. That's very plainly talking about reaching sinners, saving sinners. Right? Am I just crazy? All right, go to John 20. Verse 21 and 23, Jesus said to them again, Peace be to you as my Father sent me, even so send I you into the world. Verse 23, whoever sins you remit. Not talking about Christians. Not talking about making disciples with Christians. It's talking about sinners. Whoever sins you remit, they're remitted to them. And whoever sins you retain, they are Retained. Go to Acts 1.8. When you get the Holy Ghost, you'll be witnesses for me. <laughs> Both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. He's not talking about making disciples or teaching Christians. He's talking about give God a family. Plans never changed. Plans never, never, never change. God wanted a family in the garden. God wanted a family after the flood. God still wants a family. It's never changed. It's never, 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 never changed. And the church has discarded it, done away with it, forgotten it, because now she's focused on, oh, let's make disciples. What does that even mean? Now, let me give you one little, let me give you, people said to me all the years I've been knowing myself, they've, they've said this to me. They said, Brother Terry, that says both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. So, so my Jerusalem, Brother Terry, I hate that phrase. People have told me that phrase all my life. Brother Terry, my Jerusalem is Punta Gorda. And then I have to go to Port Charlotte and then I have to go to Fort Myers. And, it, and they say it's chronological order, Brother Terry. If I live in America, I get the gospel in America first. That's my Jerusalem. Then Mexico, then Canada. If I live in Tanzania, then I have to do Tanzania, and then Kenya, and then Uganda. If I live in, if I live in Guatemala, I have to do Guatemala, and then Mexico, and then Honduras. And I've said, no, 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 no. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. It's not chronological order. He uses the word both. And, and you don't have a Jerusalem. I've always said to him, why, why is it that your Jerusalem is, is, is Hollywood, Beverly Hills, in my Jerusalem, I'm, and I'm commissioned to go the whole world. That's not right. That's not right. I said, let me give you a word study on the word both. Both Jerusalem, both in Jerusalem. 
The word both, if we do a word study on it, the word both actually means both. <laughs> it's not chronological order. If I, go to, if I go to a restaurant and I order a steak and baked potato and the server says to me, sir, would you like sour cream or butter on your baked potato? And I say, both. That doesn't mean chronological order. It means both. It means simultaneously. It means at the same time. It means in equal amounts, right? And that's what Jesus is saying. He's not talking about a city in a, in, in a chronological order here. He's talking about a people. He says, so I want you to get the gospel now that we've had a paradigm shift, now that it's a new covenant, now that things are different, I want you to get the gospel now both to the Jews both Jerusalem, both of the Jews, and to the Gentiles in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Both, both of them, equal amounts, simultaneously at the same time. Amen. <laughs> Renee and I have a little granddaughter that when she was four, her mother was having another baby, it was a girl, and they were thinking about naming her something Rose, middle name Rose, Alina Rose. And so I was picking at the four-year-old. I'm a picker pretty much. And, uh, and I'm driving, and Renee's sitting in the back seat because the baby's in the, in the car seat strapped in. So Renee's sitting back there with her. And I'm driving, and I said, I said, Brill, why is your mother and daddy going to name this baby Rose? She said, what, Papa? And I said, Rose is not a baby. Rose is a flower. <laughs> and she said, Papa, Rose can be a, a name. I said, no, 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 no. And I can't see her. I'm driving. And I said, Rose is a flower. Rose isn't a baby. And she said, Papa, yes, it is. I said, no, it's not. No, no. And I'm just picking at her and she's frustrating her. And finally she said, and Renee can see this. I can't see it. And finally she says, Papa, Rose can be a flower, or rose can be a name. And she looks over her name, and she goes. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that just then when I, started, when I was looking at Renee, and I said, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea. <laughs> and the whole world. What's wrong with you? So does that make sense to you? That five times Jesus gave us the Great Commission? And he's talking about winning the lost or multiply and be fruitful. I used to tell Jackie, I'd say, you know, you wrote that great book, Supernatural Childbirth, where mama can have a baby. I said, but I can stand on a crusade platform and have 100,000 people out in the crowd, and I can have 100,000 babies in one night. That's real supernatural childbirth. Because that's, that's being born again. That's what Jesus was talking about. Give God a family. Give God a family. Now, it took them, and I won't belabor this because it's got to be late. It's 10 o'clock. I, 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 um, I won't belabor this, but help me, Lord. It took them 30 years before they ever got it. it. Took them 30 years. They did not, even though they looked him in the eye, heard what he said, and said, yes, sir, Lord, we'll do that. They didn't do it and didn't get it. 30 years until we get down to Acts chapter 10. 
And Peter has gone down to a city of Joppa. He's gone to a guy's house named Simon. He's also named Simon. And he has a tanning business. You know, he, he kills cows and sheep and tans the hide. And so Peter's there visiting with them. Never has preached to a Jew. Wouldn't preach, I mean to a Gentile. Wouldn't preach to a Gentile. Neither have any of the other disciples. But down the road, there's a Roman centurion named Cornelius. Now, Roman centurions are dogs, man. They're the scum of the earth because they're not Jews. They're, the, the, the Israelis hate The Jews hate them. Right? Not only are they not a Jew, not only are they a Gentile, not only are they a dog, they're also the occupying military force in the country. They've come from Italy and occupied Jerusalem, Israel. They hate them. Nobody wants an occupying force. But this guy, this, this guy, Cornelius, is a good guy. And he's given alms to the poor. He's helped the poor like God wants you to. And he's given them money and he, he's helped them build a temple. And he, he's done some good stuff. And he's a, he's a good guy. And he's always praying to the Lord and saying, Father, show me what to do. I don't know what to do. Help, help me. I, I need somebody. And so, so angels can't preach. They can't preach. People tell me all the time they can. They can't. They cannot preach. Angels are messengers and they're warriors. And so God sends Cornelius an angel, which is a messenger. He can't preach. Looks like he could just go and say, okay, Cornelius, here's what you need to do. You need to accept Jesus. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But he can't do that. All he can do as a messenger is say where to find a preacher. So this angel shows up and he says, good news, cheer up, Cornelius. Your arms have come up before the Lord. And uh, here's what you need to do. You need to send somebody down here to the city of Joppa and knock on the door of Simon the Tanner's house and ask to speak to Simon Peter, and he'll come tell you what you need to do. So he told him where to find a preacher. But the angel knows, and God knows, Peter ain't going to go. That is not going to happen. Peter's not going to preach to an Italian. So God, the Holy Ghost, has to beat the messenger down there, and Peter says to the guys, y'all cooking dinner, I'm going to go up on top of the roof, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. Well, so the Holy Ghost lets this sheet down. And it's full of all kind of stuff that's unclean for Jews to eat. Don't you know there was pork chops and bacon and catfish and lobster and shrimp? And don't you know there was some stuff on there the Jews can't eat, man? And uh, so he lets this sheet down. There's all this stuff that Peter had never eaten in his life. And the voice came from heaven and said, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Boy, Peter just gross. Uh, get that out of here. I, I rebuke you, devil. And so a second time, the, it comes again. Arise, Peter, kill any. I rebuke you. Get out of here. I've never touched that stuff. Go away. And so a third time, because God's got to get this across to him, so he'll go preach to Cornelius. He ain't going to an Italian's house. There's no way in the world. And so, arise, Peter, kill any. Third time. Am I on camera? I rebuke you, devil. I've never touched this stuff, and I'll never touch it. Get out of here. And so it goes away. Now, you'd think after three times, Peter would, lightning fast brain would think, Maybe God's trying to show me something. No, he never thought that. So about that time, there's a knock at the door downstairs, and they say, excuse us, we'd like to see Simon Peter. And so they say, you got to be kidding me. You're Romans. You're dogs. You're the scum of the earth. We'll see if he's here. Shut. They climb up on the roof, and they say, Brother Peter, there's some gross man there's 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 some italians downstairs dogs 
I said this in a pastor's conference in Malta one time, and a bunch of, bunch, bunch of Italians had come over from Italy to hear, hear me preach. They thought that was the funniest thing since sliced bread, man. They, 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 they laughed. I said, I said, Italians, dogs, man, dogs. And they said, maybe they're just falling out of their seat. But anyway, uh, Brother Peter, there's Italians down here, and they want to talk to you. We'll just tell them you're not here. And Peter said, no, I don't get it, but I got to go. I'm not there yet. No, you're right. And so, so whenever he rebuked it the last time, the third time, thank you. Peter, uh, the Holy Ghost said, Peter, don't you call common and unclean that that I've cleansed. And so he scratched his head thinking about that. Peter, there's some Italians. And, and Peter said, he, he said later, he said, the Holy Ghost made me go. Nothing doubted. I didn't have a choice. I had to go. So Peter said, I'll go with him. So he goes down there. And when he does, old sister Bucketmouth gets on Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> she sends a tweet to Rome, to Jerusalem. And she says, Peter's talking to Italians. And that got Peter in all kind of trouble. So Peter goes down there. He walks in this Italian's house for the first time in his life. And he looks around, I'm sure, thinking lightning's going to fall. And it didn't. So he tells them about Jesus and tells, gets them saved, gets them filled with the Holy Ghost. They speak in tongues. That's when Peter, Bob, made that famous, famous, famous statement in verse 34. And he said, then I perceive of a truth. God's no respecter of persons. Now, we use that out of context, saying, well, God loves me as much as you. If he'll heal your eyes, he'll heal my eyes. If he give you $100, he'll give me $100. If he give you a car, he'll give me a car. You can use it for that. that was, that's out of context. The context was missions, because this is a missions book, and those are mission scriptures, right? Because God wants a family. So he says, uh, God's no respecter of persons. Put, put that up there, verse, verse, chapter 10 and verse, verse 34. It's a powerful, powerful script. Put, put verse 35 up. Look what he said in verse 35. He said, then Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth, I perceive that God's no respect of persons, but in every nation, in every nation around the world, every people, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Bingo. Peter got it. First time he got it. First time he got it. I got to preach to Gentiles. So he goes back down to Joppa, and when he gets there, there's the message from Jerusalem. He said, boy, you better get yourself to Jerusalem, stand before the board. We may pull your papers. You know, you know that's what boards usually do. They, they issue your preaching papers, your license, and if you don't do what they like, they take it away from you. We'll pull your papers. So he has to go to Jerusalem. All chapter 11 is of Acts is Peter standing before the board, Retail in chapter 10. That's all it is. And so he's telling the whole board, this is, they said, why'd you go preach to the Italian? What's wrong with you? He said, well, what was I that I could withstand God? He said, the Holy Ghost made me go, nothing doubting. I'd have had to withstand God if I didn't do it. He said, and the Holy Ghost fell on them just like he did on us. And then verse 18, verse 18 of Acts chapter 11. You've got it up there, but I want to show I want to show it to you in my Bible. 
I wrote in the margin of my Bible, Bob, I put, this is the first time the disciples got missions. First time. First time they got it. Verse 18. That's the first time they got it. The first time. After Peter told them the story, then it says, when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to Gentiles repentance unto life. First time the disciples got what Jesus said to them about getting the gospel to the world, about giving God a family. And from that point, they went all over the world and preached the gospel. And we still are. Amen. But that's the whole, people say, Terry oversimplifies the Bible. That's the Bible. God put the kids in the garden last week. He lost them. He's been trying to find them ever since. He's been looking for them. He's been sending folks out looking for them. And he's about to find them. And that's the front of the Bible where God walks in the garden and said, Kids, where are you? Because they were hid, remember? Isn't that amazing? The Bible starts, the Bible starts with God calling the kids. God's a soul winner. It starts with God saying, Kids, where are you? And it ends over here in Revelation. Jesus saying, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will come, if any man will open up to me, I'll, I'll come in and eat with you. And then the end of Revelation chapter 22, he says, Kids, come on in. It's supper time. Come and dine. Come and dine. Come on, supper's ready. So it, it starts with God calling the kids. It ends with God calling the kids. So you can say I oversimplified if you want to, but to me, that's the Bible. That's the whole Bible. And the church has done all kind of stuff in between, and thank God for a lot of it, and shame on them for a bunch of it. But the, the crux of the matter is God put the kids in the garden. He lost them. He's been looking for them. He's going to find them. He's going to take them home for dinner. And then he's going to get on a white horse, and man, all kind of things are going to happen. And I'm glad to be part of it. Well, did y'all get anything out of all that? Stand up with me. Praise the Lord. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Father, this church, I've known this church a long time. This church, and Pastor Bob and Ned, are soul winners. That's the point. This was anointed of God and called of God to be a lighthouse. A lighthouse. To shine the light where the light is dim and name the name of Jesus where it's not been named. That's the purpose of this church. To give God a family. So Father, soul winning is the heart of God. The heart of Jesus. The fulfilling of the Great Commission. It's giving God a family. He said, multiply and be fruitful, give me a family. After the ark, he said, multiply and be fruitful, give me a family. In the, in, at the resurrection, Jesus said, go into the world and get God a family. That's what this whole thing's about. So I pray for these folks to have an anointing on them for soul winning. That's why Renee brings these shirts so they can wear and say, God's using available mud. So if they're, in the, in the, if they're standing in line at Walmart or somewhere at Publix, somebody say, what does that mean? What do you mean available? And they can say, well, let me tell you. One time Jesus spit on the dirt and anointed it and, and made mud out of it and rubbed it on some blind men's eyes and the eyes opened 
And I'm just glad God's still using available mud today. I'm, I'm just available to be used by God. Father, give them opportunity after opportunity. It's not scary to be a soul winner. Brother Osteen used to tell us, nobody can tell your testimony like you can. All they have to do is say, you know what, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. I used to be a drunk, and God helped me. I used to be a drug addict, and God helped me. I used to be a, a, an adulterer, and God helped me. I used to be a bank robber, and God helped me. I used to be miserable, and God helped me. I used to beat my wife, and God helped me. I used, that, that's, that's your testimony. And they're out there committing suicide and depressed and despondent and, and because they're, they're doing those things and there's no way out for them. Well, we're their way out. We're the light. We're the light. And they can look to us and say, how do you do it? We say, well, let me help you. Let me talk to you about it. Come on, go to church with me Sunday. After, after service Sunday morning, our pastors preach a great sermon, and after that, I'm going to take you to lunch. Well, so what if it costs you a hamburger or a steak? Take them to lunch. Because giving God a family is the absolute crux of the matter. Doing the works that Jesus greater works is winning souls. When you win a soul, Jesus said, wow, I couldn't do that. And every time you win a soul, you know what the Bible says? Heaven has a party. Every time you win a soul, heaven rejoices. So let's quit making ourselves happy and our friends happy and everybody else happy. Let's start making heaven happy. Father, thank you for these precious ones. They've been gracious tonight. It's after 10 o'clock. We've been here since 7. They've been gracious. And I appreciate that. I thank you for the hunger in the church. I thank you for the hunger coming back to the church of Jesus. And Father, I pray the blessings of God upon them here in the house and those online. I pray the blessings of God, the favor of God, the increase of God, the abundance of God, the healing of God, the miracles of God. I pray healing and miracles and salvation and deliverance and infilling of the Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for it. Father, the anointing fall right now. The anointing fall. The destroying anointing. For you said the anointing destroys the yoke of bondage. Whatever the yoke's name is, whether it's cancer or adultery or, or, or divorce or, or, or any problem in the business, any problem in the home, any problem with the physical body, any sickness, any disease, whatever yoke it is, the anointing, the anointing, the anointing, the anointing, destroy it. And we thank you for it and give you glory and honor and praise and majesty and dominion in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Now, I wasn't here last year for the first time in probably 30 years. So take all my long preaching this time and cut it in half and charge half of it to last year. And it won't be near as long. Praise the Lord. Y'all pray for us as we travel, as we go around the world, as we do things for Jesus. Y'all pray for us. It may be 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning. God may wake you up. It may be noon where we're at. And we may need prayer serious. So we covet your prayers. We appreciate your partnership. This church has always partnered with us. In fact, Pastor Bob and Ned partner with us personally. And then the church partners with us. 
Uh, and then y'all always partnered in, in any humanitarian thing we were doing with the JMICF Christmas Project we're doing. And, you know, when we had different, different things in Romania and, and orphans and, and, and Cuba, hurricane. Y'all have always been quick to be friends and partners. So we pray for you every day. We love you. We appreciate you. We pray for this church. And we call people in from the east and west, north and south. And we thank you for people not having isms and schisms, but just saying, hey, I'm going where the, where the light's shining and the word's strong and, and healthy and I can be fed. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name for your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Well, pastor, come on and rescue folks. Praise the Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. God. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't that good? That was very good. Thank you, Terry. Praise God. Praise God. Well, I guess you realize that Terry's heart is the same heart God has for souls, you know, and uh, they work hard at it. They work very hard at it. Uh, in fact, they have, at this time, they've been on the road since June 1st, you know, so that's been um, two months, and uh, they're not ready to go home yet. So uh, they work very hard because they want what God wants, you know, and that's important. And we partner with them because they want what God wants. You know, even though we're just a, a church in, in Punta Gorda, we have a, a world vision. You know, we want to see the world come in. We want to see the world saved. And that's why we sow seed into ministries like uh, Brother Terry and Renee and, and other ministries because we believe in reaching the world. Amen. Amen. You know, um, Paul said to the Corinthians, I'm not an apostle to everyone, but I am to you. And uh, Terry is an apostle, and uh, several years ago, we received him as an apostle to our church. And that is one of the reasons why the anointing has increased when he starts to come here, because we receive him as an apostle. Amen. And, uh, you know, we, we want to sow into his ministry because we want what God wants. God wants a family. And we want what God wants. And we want to help see that come to pass. And although we may not go into the world, we can touch the world by giving into ministries that do go to the world. You know, the United States has said that they give gives 80% of the money into mission work around the world. And is it any wonder that the devil would want to attack? You know, we live in perilous times, pressure times, sometimes even says hard to bear times. You know, and in the things that we deal with today with inflation, gas prices, and all these other things that are going on can create a lot of pressure. And the pressure is designed to stop the financing going into the missions that wants to reach the world and bring home the people that, that God's looking for. And um, we're not going to let that happen because no weapon formed against me will prosper. Call it inflation, sorry, can't prosper. Call it high gas prices, sorry, you can't prosper. There's no weapon, no attack that can prosper because we are the people of God and God causes us to triumph in Christ. 
Amen. Amen. And you need to believe that. You need to put it in your mouth. You need to start declaring those things so heaven can move on your behalf. You want heaven to move? Start putting in your mouth what heaven says and start believing it. And don't fall for the pressure. Amen. Don't fall for it. It's just a big lie. It's a deception. You are the overcomer. You are the conqueror. You are the victorious one. Amen. Amen. And with faith that attaches to grace, we can sow our seed and believe God that even in the face of pressure times, we rise to the top and we overcome it all. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. God is so good. Isn't that right? So, Father, we just thank you. Thank you, Father, that as we come before you with our giving, that we believe what your word says. We stand on your word. And, Father, we are a people after your heart. And your heart is for souls. Your heart is for the family to come back home. And, Father, our heart is with your heart. And because of that, we sow into those that are working your plan and working hard to see what you want and what you desire and what you left us here to do to come to pass. So, Father, we sow our seed into Brother Terry's ministry, and we thank you, Father, that it brings harvest in through that ministry, a harvest of souls into the kingdom of God, as well as a harvest that comes back to us so that we can again sow into your work and what you want to do in reaching the world. So, Father, we thank you for it. We bless you. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So if you uh, need an envelope for cash or credit card giving, just raise your hand or if there's an envelope on the seat back in front of you. If you're on live stream, on podcast, thanks for being with us tonight. Um, I know that you got a lot out of what was said today. I mean, that covered everything from Genesis to Revelation, and it's the whole plan of God, and it's so good to know that we were born for just such a time as this. We are the end time church. And like Renee said, we are here to pick up what others had not done. And we are here to carry the last leg of the race. The last leg of the race is the most exciting part because you're the one that gets to see the goal line. Glory to God. Glory to God. So if you're on live stream or a podcast and you'd like to sow seed into Brother Terry's ministry, go to our website, newlifefamilyworship.net. Click on the giving link and in the description box, put Terry Mize and we'll make sure that he gets all that you give.